Today's podcast is sponsored by Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash GOT and using GOT as a promo code at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 4, entitled Book of the Stranger. Uh, I know we did the instant cast, but has your opinion changed? I almost think? forgot my own damn name. It's going to be one of those podcasts. <laughs> um, I've So I've seen this three times now, and I like it. It's interesting because I, I continue to like it. I, I'm more at peace with the end because I, I felt like the... Slight resistance I had to it was kind of silly in retrospect. Um, okay. It's it's entirely a thing that the books can be one way and the show can be another. And also, I haven't even read the damn book. So until George decides to release it, uh, I'll decide whether I want to call him a liar in the future. And then we'll talk about that more later. Um, the John and Sansa thing, I'll, I'm going to watch it at least one more time before the spoiler podcast. But it gets me every fucking time. Every time. Okay. And it hasn't gotten me once. Well, you know, there <laughs> that's kind of your thing. I but guess so. but yeah, no, I I thought it was great. And the stuff that is you know, the quiet moments between uh the different characters, uh Littlefinger's machinations, the more I've had time to think about that and the Lannister Tyrell alliance and how that's gonna promise to be a clusterfuck. It's all really good. This is a really strong episode of Game of Thrones. And really, like, I I felt like there's a little bit of unrest and uneasiness in the first three episodes, even though shit so much happened. But, like, you know, there Mm -hmm. wasn't a lot of progress beyond what we kind of expected to happen. And this is where, man, you can really see, like, how can they walk back Danny? Like, how can she not completely conquer Slaver's Bay and then go to Westeros from here? Yeah. Uh, she needs boats. Well, she needs boats to do to do the Westeros thing. She but, needs yeah. ships and boats. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's there's stuff that's actually happening. And I think uh, you know that that's a lot of the great television shows take a few episodes to set things up so that they can just really you knock you on your ass. So that's my opinion. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm of roughly the same opinion. I think uh, it's a really strong episode, and and I like you know, how they're knocking the pins down, but they're also setting up another lane, right? They're setting up sure. the stuff with bowling Robin and Littlefinger. Absolutely. And they're bowling strikes most of the time. A couple spares, maybe a 7-10 split every once in a while. But yeah, it seems like they're they're doing a lot to to keep the plot moving now uh, on certain on certain threads while they're doing, while they're setting up others. Yeah. So I think that's the best way to tell this story because there are so many parts to it. Yeah. Uh, those are the episodes I like the most where, you know, maybe it's a little bit forgettable on the setup threads, but mm-hmm. but those big plot moments are hitting, uh, you know, while other stuff is, is going down. I also thought that this was a great episode for some of the Game of Thrones humor. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like a, some of the humor just that, that usually is something you can rely on has missed this season, but yeah. I thought all the stuff that, like... Tormund I fucking Brienne 
and her not really I mean she wasn't threatened because I feel like no. that's why it wasn't creepy because Brienne in any given day could beat <laughs> Tormund's ass for him. Probably, yeah. Um but to the fact like maybe this is the first guy who's actually looked at her that way yeah. without any kind of ir- irony or agenda and she's like I uh, this is all new and it's just great it was a great human moment. Yeah. Um and some of the stuff to even and, tear- and it's good that it's not one of the the black brothers doing it because yeah, you could say, "Oh, well, they haven't seen a woman in a long time, and like maybe they're just taking right. the first thing that comes along." But Tormund, he does what he wants. I mean, you Tormund know? So, like, her, she's like, "Holy shit, I get with this yeah. woman, and my <laughs> children are kings." Uh-huh. You put me and her genetics together, holy cow! I'm we're just going to birth a dynasty, right? And like, I I like this strong woman. Like, it's yeah, it's it's great. It's it's I I really enjoyed it. Uh, yep. I I've enjoyed the plus Brienne kind of has walked in and owned the room this whole episode like absolutely you know yep. when the gates open and she's there in the middle and she's flanked by Sansa and uh, Pod freaking awesome she's mm-hmm. you know riding around and everybody's just kind of like holy shit look at the it's 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 great it Good is stuff yeah we'll we'll get to all these scenes individually and talk about them more uh, do you have anything you want to want to say before we get into the recap. We're getting geared up for the 6th Annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints. Except, it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim. Order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar. Then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Hey, we got something cool to announce, which is that we're going to be doing the rare appearance, uh, in 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 person appearance at the Rocket City NerdCon, which is taking place in downtown Huntsville, Alabama, uh, Saturday, October twenty second, from nine a.m. to nine p.m. to Sunday, October twenty three, from nine a.m. to five p.m. It's cool. We're you know a lot of people think in Alabama and, and nerd and science fiction stuff. Apparently, it's uh, you didn't might not know this, but Huntsville. Uh, is a, a base of operation for NASA. 
Yeah. And as a child, uh, I actually toured the the space facility they got down there, and it's really cool. They got uh, a lot of um, like uh, Saturn and Atlas rockets and stuff that you can go look at. But uh, they actually have this NerdCon, which is a, they they're saying they're a celebration of all things nerdy. If your fanaticism for pop culture, comic books, movies, TV, books, games, collectibles, crafting, cosplay, LARPing, etc., borders on obsessive, this is the place for you. Come, Pete, uh, come meet other people who geek out over similar subjects and let your inner nerd geek flag fly. Jim and I are going to be one of those nerds and geeks down there. Uh, we're going to be doing a couple panels at least. Probably You're going implying to be... that we're this like two-headed beast of a thing. Aren't we? We're going to be one of them. I think we're going to be two of them. We're but... going to be a unit of two people. We're going right. to be uh... who may or may not be sharing a shirt. I don't know. <laughs> we that's yet to be. It could be like uh, you know the God of Death versus the Lord of Light. You know, are they all the same thing with two different heads? Or are they distinct aspects of one entity? Who knows? Well, you, you got to show up at Huntsville to find out. You do, and it's. I was amazed to find out that it's only a six-hour drive from Cincinnati. So it's a pretty good radius if you want to come say hi. I'm sure there's going to be some post-con revelry, probably mm-hmm. getting beers afterwards and, and socializing. And all during the con, we're going to have like a, a designated place for you to go. If you want to check out some information about it, you can go to rocketcitynerdcon.org. You can also follow them on Facebook and Twitter to get up to dates. I know they're not selling tickets yet, but I think that is imminent, and we'll probably have another announcement when you can actually buy tickets. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to have some con-exclusive Bald Move merchandise to bring down there if you want to pick up a T-shirt or something. Uh, hell, I don't know why you'd want one, but I'll sign an autograph. Uh, I will talk with you. Uh, we might be playing some games. Like I don't know what all is going to go down there, but I tend to love all that shit. Um, and I know at least one of our panels is going to be something... Uh, at least tangibly related to Game of Thrones as well, um, but more on that later. <laughs> so again, if you want to, if you want to meet us, um, if you're from the South, it sounds like a really cool opportunity. I'm excited to uh, get down there. RocketCityNerdCon.org, and we will have uh, upcoming announcements with more information as we get it. Okay, then let's do it. Ed asked John how the hell he can leave the wall when he knows what's coming. Uh, and before they can kind of resolve this argument, Sansa's party shows up, and there's a teary reunion between her and John. big hugs. They go inside, and they reminisce for a while before Sansa tries to convince him to take back Winterfell, which he promptly refuses to do. Yeah, I'm glad that Ed got pissed and they had this conversation, because this yeah. is something that would naturally... Yeah, okay, this is what we talked about last week on Oathbreaker. Okay, you technically might be... Mm-hmm free from your your oaths but you're really fucking us here john but john came back with like the strongest of arguments they, i was murdered yeah don't you, you understand you want me to stay here <laughs> right it's like so they can get it right the next time i uh-huh. i i thought it was intelligent driven passionate characters having different points of view that are all valid yeah and there's no real easy answer for it right uh, I, I do think that John shut Ed up there at the end. Like, how how do you argue with I was murdered and no? I mean, sure. I can't stay here. But it's also equally again. true that John's the best man for the job. And oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, I also wonder, you know, where how is this going to be resolved? This thing where it's kind of elegant the way they have set it up because it's not necessarily with this letter that comes out later on. It's not necessarily that. The wildlings want to follow John, or they want to fight his wars for him. We know that as a sticking point with them. It's not necessarily mm-hmm. that the Black Brothers want to see him abandon their post. It's just this Ramsey kind of th- poses an existential threat for all of them. Right. 
He could like, come up. He's going to come and just them. wipe you yeah. out, which is the worst of all possible circumstances. So it's mm-hmm. like Tyrion's speech about, I don't trust them. I trust their self-interest. I don't have to rationalize why Tormund is going to have to convince you know his his people to fight for John. It's like a self-evident thing that they have to do because yeah. of, of Ramsay sending this letter. And this, you know, again, here's why Ramsay's not Roos. What do you mean? Well, I mean, sending the letter. Well, we're we're not anywhere near the letter yet. But no, I sure. know. But I mean, that's okay. why I just want to get that out there, like because he's. If you're going to do something, just go up there and do it. You got the numbers now. You've got a chance for these people to get united against you. I have a crazy tinfoil theory that I, I want to drop I, on you later. Okay, sure. When we talk about the letter, I'm, I'm just, I'm, you're probably going to be serving up some dry pie to the listeners. I might, I might, <laughs> but. It's pretty and no tinfoil, arbor red, so it, just wash it down. It might just be completely okay. off the reservation. All right, we'll see. I'm excited. Uh, question here: If John leaves, and it looks like he's going to, what does Ed do with the Black Brothers? Is that like the kind of the last we'll see of them for a while as we go exploring with it's John, just such or a, is it? It's just such a pitiful organization at this point, right? Right. The and only, they have no chance of holding the wall. Like, I mean, the wall almost could hold. I mean. <laughs> Yeah, that's all true. I mean, the wall is kind of a formidable thing all to itself. But yeah, like yeah. 48 guys manning it or how many they have at this point. It's just, you know, you don't really want to see John lead all these people away. You And, and even to do something as noble as take back Winterfell. But mm-hmm. I don't know. On the other hand, you don't want to see them all wiped out because that would be, you know, 48 versus 4,000. It's, you know, against the full might of the White Walkers. I don't know. But... But zero is the lowest number you can have, which is what happens <laughs> right. if Bolton's just come up there and clean house. Yeah, I just – I feel like we might be moving away from the wall for a bit. That's fine. Yeah, it's fine by me too. We've been up there for a very long time. I mean, I can't imagine – I can't imagine what they – like if, if if Ed stays up there with his 50 years uh, yeah. so odd and a bunch of sick, old, uh, or very young wildlings – I mean, I guess if, like, he wakes up and there's literally an army of the dead on the other side of the wall. That's what I was going to say. Next check-in we get is going to be White Walkers, but, probably. But what the hell do they do about that? Nothing. They die. Uh, so it's like, <laughs> I don't... You're right. The that's a reveal, that's a reveal that min- eventually is, like, I would expect, like, something crazy to happen. Like, the wall getting knocked down or just a total crushing defeat. Yeah. Because there's nothing they can do. No. There's nothing that I would... Bl- I don't care how many fucking dragon glass arrows they got. Yeah. It ain't going to be enough. So even for what we saw at Hardhome, yeah. it's nowhere near enough. So it's a damn good thing that the White Walkers are taking their time, yeah, because it seems like they could really take advantage of all this chaos and <laughs> and and wreck shop if they wanted to. Yep. Okay, let's move on to Davos and Melisandre. Um, oh, I also want to say something about um, Sansa here. Is that yeah. this might be the first time since we saw her as a little girl at the beginning of the season where she's just been natural. Like, she's always affected some kind. She's either been terrified under Lannister's control. She's been skeptical and nervous and weird about Littlefinger and his advances and his promises and then terrified again. Like, it's been a minute since we've seen her. And the the last few times we've seen her be herself, she was a selfish, spoiled brat little girl. I feel like there's still a little bit of that in there. Maybe. Like, I... I'm not totally on board with Sansa being Sansa just yet. But what what it's I'm saying is, more time for this me, is but... the first time we actually have even gotten a chance to right. see what her true personality, after all these years, yeah. is at this point. Like we've seen John grow, 
Whereas all of Sansa's growth, she's had to stuff down deep inside and kind of keep within her. Yeah. And now it's like springing and, and uncoiling. But I, I really, I really like that. And I found myself liking Sansa more and more. Not that I ever hated her, but more and more. Uh, well, no, that's not true. I, I pretty much hated Sansa in season one. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a lot not to like there. Sure. Um, but but I, I just I couldn't believe know. how likable and how powerful she was in just the few minutes of screen time she got in this episode and how much yeah uh how, how great it was to see her with her brother and kind of conspiring revenge yeah there was something about the playfulness there so I really liked the playfulness of, sure. of them that felt together. like a brother sister it did but it also felt a little a little like she's still a spoiled brat like forgive mm. me forgive me forgive me you're gonna forgive me do it now like I. There's a tinge of it that I just can't huh. get on board with, but for the most part, yeah, I'm I'm really warming up to Sansa being a human being. Instead That's of interesting because I, I feel like that um, asking someone to f- to fulfill a need or want is an adult thing to do. Like there wasn't, right? and, and also she's... this is something like, what if we both die tomorrow, or I die? You mm-hmm. might feel like I I know you. This is as much for you as as much for me. I just want to put all this bad blood and let you know that I was wrong. Okay, you're reading a lot into that. To me, it felt like her demanding to be forgiven, like a child would. But I think you—that's a—that's another read into right. So right. yeah, I, yeah I, it's just the tone of her voice there. I can see where you're coming me from. a little bit, but yeah, for the most part, you know, a lot of good stuff with Sansa here, and uh, she gets John on the right track in the end. So yeah, that's good. Uh, Davos asked Melisandre what she's going to do. Now that uh, she's she's got John leaving, and she says she's going to follow him, uh, the prince who was promised. Apparently, mm-hmm. that that's changed from Stannis to John. Davos inquires about what happened at Winterfell, and then Brienne comes up and menaces Melisandre for a minute while explaining that she executed Stannis, and she knows what happened. And man, I I I saw in the instant cast like it just jumped off like how much larger that she is and how intimidating she oh, was yeah. naturally. Well, on a second watch, I noticed she walked over there with naked steel. She has her really? sword out as she's yeah no oh geez and I'm like whole that like takes it into a whole other direction. Uh-huh. Like it's like essentially talking to some tough scary person and then same person with a loaded gun Mm -hmm. like right she's intimidating but this is this is but it's almost like i know and i could snuff both you out at any time yeah just wanted you to know all of those facts as well right and it's just like the yeah when they pan out and she's just sitting there with her long sword out like jesus that's threatening yep and davos and melisandre seem somewhat cowed yeah, and it's totally warranted, you know? I mean, she she had this oath that Melisandre just totally destroyed by the shadow baby thing, uh, you know, and that kind of sent her spiraling yeah. for a long time. And now, like, she's finally got a new mission, mm-hmm. and she's over there. You know, I think, I, I, I won't say forgive and forget, because mm-hmm. she clearly has done she, neither she of those things. She specifically said, I don't, I don't do either of those. Right, but she is not going to chop Melisandre's head off right now not, even, not even though you know because i guess i guess a lot of that died with stannis with being able to kill stannis because he was kind of the the person behind all that if you if you want to read it that way yeah and like i think how would brienne because i know she made an exception that if she would accept lady stark service unless it conflicted with her vow to get revenge for rinley's killers i wonder how exact she interprets that like 
are, are people accessories hmm. to it, or is it the man who essentially decided on the policy? Is he the one to blame? Because she's, right. she's ultimately Sansa's lady here. Yeah. Uh, her woman at arms, and she doesn't have the freedom to just pursue her revenge willy-nilly. Unless right. she wants to parse the contract as being like, well, these are also responsible for the death of Rinley, so mm-hmm. I'm grandfathering them in. I don't know. Yeah. I, thought... I could have seen her doing that, but it doesn't sure. seem like she's going to. No. She just wants to, to play some games here. She wants them to know. Yeah. She wants them to know. She's putting them on blast. Fine by me. Uh, we go over to Robin Aaron. He's practicing his archery when Littlefinger arrives with the bird gift. Uh, Royce tries to call out Littlefinger for giving Sansa to the Boltons, but Littlefinger twists him up and demonstrates his manipulative grip over Robin. <laughs> and and he kind of wins the scene here uh, in a big way. Yeah. Uh, a lot, there's a lot to say about this scene. Yeah. Number one, did you see the image macro on the forums? Someone whipped up of the uh, the brave Sir Robin character from Monty Python's <laughs> no, Holy Grail. No, what is it? Well, it's like the guy who is always running away and his bards would sing about how uh-huh. he's bravely running away. And he's he even has a chicken on his shield, which I thought was a nice homage to the falcon that's on uh you know the the the, the house of uh, uh Arryn. Yeah. Um I don't know, it's just funny to me that the, okay. the, the both characters called Robin and they're Named both kind of cowardly putzes. Um at least one of his arrows made it to the board. He didn't hit the target, but he hit the board. That's true. That's true. <laughs> he got it far enough. That's true. Um but I also thought that this this sir, this Lord Royce was an interesting character. Yeah. Uh and it's like such a weird character quirk that he wears full plate armor essentially all the time. Like almost no one does that. Not even J not even the King's Guard do. They go around in their leather jerkins most of the time unless they're actually protecting the king. And I wondered right. if that you know, kind of like, uh, have you heard of like the mall ninja trope? Like the rent a cops that take the job just a little too seriously. It's oh, like, sure. okay, yeah. yeah, you might need pepper spray and a, and a radio on your belt, but do mm-hmm. you need three pairs of handcuffs and a telescoping baton and, you know, all yeah. this other and shit? And they're using code over their walkies. Yeah. And, right. Yeah. Um, or, or like the same thing with like, uh, you know, the nerds back in the day with the utility belts like okay maybe you need a cell phone on there okay yeah you might need a multi-tool a Uh pager i guess but what the fuck is like this multimeter and a titanium spork come on yeah i don't think you need all that on your belt dude like it's you're i do you think that they're trying to suggest that he is a bit of like uh, this puffed up i mean he literally looks like this puffed up yeah foghorn leghorn character in this get up this full plate and you Could know, I mean, it certainly makes him look. I, I don't know the colors and the plate make him look regal to a mm-hmm. certain degree. Just mm-hmm. like, but he folded like a cheap suit as soon as he right. realized. You know, he's certainly not as principled as like a Ned because a Ned would be like, "Well, you know what? Go fuck yourself." If the Lord wants to execute me, make then me fly, yeah. I'm gonna die as a good man rather than you know kneel behind, but but buy all this crap, but. Right. I thought that was a really interesting piece of characterization, just visually. Yeah, and it it makes me wonder, like, this whole scene makes me wonder if Royce, uh, this Jan Royce guy, is going to step up and try and combat Littlefinger. Uh, and, and in what way could he do that? Because it's apparent that Littlefinger has a vice grip on Robin. And all of the men are ultimately loyal to Robin, which was also something right. that I found mildly surprising, but... Um, I mean, I guess they would be uh, yeah, if they, they take their job seriously. That's the thing, man. The people take uh, the, this thing about the the leader, even if your leader is um, 
a doofus young boy. Yeah. Like, you know, Joffrey who, or, or just just weaned from his mama's tit like two years ago. Like you're right. still he's the lawyer. He's the defender of the veil. So, uh-huh. uh, you no, know, it's I thought it was a masterful scene of Littlefinger just using just showing this this uh, Royce guy who the real power is. And don't you fucking yeah. forget it. Oh, you think that you're going to uh, call me onto the carpet about my double dealings with Sansa? No, fuck you. I'm going to name you as a conspirator and threaten a threat at the moon door. Right. That's what you thought is going to be the one way, but it's the other way. And he's almost <laughs> using this idea of absence makes the heart grow fonder to to keep Robin under his spell. Sure. Like, he rolls in with fucking gifts once every five, six months. Yeah. Royce has got to be on his best behavior every single day. And you can I'll probably tell that I think that Robin probably catches him rolling his eyes. Oh, yeah. So that like, smile when he shot the arrow. Sure. Bullshit. Sure. Robin knows that. Like, But Uncle Peter gets me. Yeah, absolutely. He gets me. He's In been the tough, five seconds fair, yeah. I see him every year, he gets me and he brings me fancy stuff. And and, he, yep. And, and he's going to do anything Littlefinger says. It's it's genius. Yes. Uh, let's move on to Missandei and Grey Worm watching a slaver ship sail in. And they're kind of offended that Tyrion's meeting with the slavers. Sure. Uh, during the meeting, Tyrion proposes that he will compensate them for their slaves and maybe some other implied stuff that he doesn't spell out, and I wish he would have. Well, that's the other thing. Like, it's offensive on the face of it to Missandei and Grey Worm for them to be compensated for their loss, production right. losses. Yeah. I mean, that's that's blood money. Yeah. And his proposal is that they also need to cease their slaving operations within seven years and cut off their support for the Sons of the Harpy. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know what you want to say about this meeting. Do you want to continue with the rest of this scene? Because it's kind of a two-parter here. Yeah, sure. We can Then we can talk about these maneuverings as a unit, sure. Okay. So we go to the throne room. There are some former slaves who are angry that uh, Tyrion's meeting with their former masters and has made peace with them. They, they don't like finding that out. And they appeal to Grey Worm and Missandei, who reluctantly back Tyrion's strategy there in front of them. But then once they're outside, they argue with Tyrion, and Grey Worm leaves him with the warning that the Masters are not to be trusted. And everyone is right and has a point here. Absolutely, yeah. But I think after multiple watchings, Tyrion's is essentially... We have to have, because we are not in a position to protect this city, and if I lose the Queen City, then we have nothing. Right. So I need to bide time and form alliances, and maybe this stuff works out, but if not, give us the time to build up our strength and build up our alliances to the yeah. point where we are strong enough to stand on our own. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of the similar situation with the wise masters. They think they could probably retake Marine if they had to, but man, those Unsullied and all oh, those dragons, like they're kind of circling each other. So now is the time to try to ring concessions. And I do feel like... Right. By the time you get to the end of the episode, now that Danny has presumably a hundred thousand Dothraki um, warriors, mm-hmm. that these people are going to rue the day they didn't take whatever deal Tyrion handed down. Yeah, it, I don't know if they haven't taken it. Um, it's not super clear no. as to where it's left. Uh, but but I do agree with Tyrion's strategy. But he also does need the guidance of. Sandy and Grey Worm, and, and to take into th- account the people here. The thing that really struck me as, ooh, when I was watching it again is when he sent in the four, what surely were formerly slave girls, 
yeah. who are now, if you want to charitably say they're they're independent contractors or prostitutes. And right. he asked for volunteers, hey, who wants to get really well paid to sleep with these wise masters as a way to sweeten the deal? And he only took volunteers. Uh-huh. It's still like if you're sitting there as Miss Sandy, that's gross. Sure. Like yeah. that that is that is that 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 is terribly disgraceful and not something you want to see your fellow country m- women uh, being not forced, coerced, whatever. I mean, that, and that's the other thing is like if these people were slaves six weeks ago, like you can really have an argument about whether the way they see this rela- relationship is a natural thing or it's something they've been conditioned to accept and what does their free will even mean at this point? Like, sure. Should be, they be able to make these decisions? Like, uh, I, I mean, there's a lot of debate to be had there, but it's clearly it affects Miss Andy. And, Absolutely, and Grey Worm as well. I mean, he doesn't trust these guys, and he shouldn't. Right, but like everything that Tyrion says about them being underestimated as an advantage... And the fact that war is a whore that should be ended today, and slavery is a whore, and you can can't can't do either really, but right, but both is and then Grey Worm's the like these people use people. That's what they do. Like he's not yeah. wrong about that too. I mean, it's just we. I think that we as a viewer tend to trust Tyrion because we know how smart he is. Well, I also trust Tyrion because he's look as much as I love a principled stand, yeah. and it feels very good in the moment watching it. It has consequences. I mean, look at Ned. Look at um, the the shit that uh, Danny has brought down on this city. It's like you can take a principled stand, but there are consequences to pay. And Tyrion is riding the line, right? Tyrion doesn't. Tyrion is does have this principle in mind, but he's willing to use other means to get it, other than just flat out refusal to comply. Yeah. And I think that's the that's what they need in this moment. And, and that's that's the thing that. It really has me on Tyrion's side is he he kind of gets it from from all angles he gets the political maneuvering he mm-hmm. gets the idea that slavery is bad right. and the idea that they want to conquer these this this idea right uh i i'm on board i'm totally on board with with Tyrion but i do think he needs to have his head kind of he needs to be pointed in the right direction by the other the people who have more stake in this because that's the thing is that he we know that he's he's not really plugged into the culture and the heart of this right. of this uh, the, the the people. Yeah, and he needs to do that to effectively lead. So yes, those I mean they are essentially telling him what the streets of Marine are going to be saying tomorrow. Yeah, and also what the larger council of these former slaves are going to say as well. So that's all right. about, and he can't you know like you said. Well, I was a slave too. Her her her. I mean that's. Reminded me of like the thing on John Oliver where the one Norwegian girl, uh, the, the oh, God. immigration person who's like taking the stand against, like she jumped in to the Mediterranean Sea, I think, or was it anyway with with this giant flotation suit and she floated there for like five seconds within arm's reach of a yeah. boat and said, "Oh yeah, now I know how people coming to us over the seas feel." It's like, no, you fucking don't. No, no, y- you didn't get a true taste. Get of it. washed off of that with your, the clothes on your back and stay there for a few hours and not have any boat in sight. That's yeah. what it feels like to be abandoned in the middle of the right and be told we're not coming back for you. Yeah, right. like you know, Tyrion got a small taste of what these right. people lived. So all that stuff was really good. And, and I wonder if, like, you, like you mentioned with the the former slaves. Could this backfire on him? Could sure. it be that the slaves don't see what he's doing and they don't see the wisdom in it, and now they're against him as well? Because it certainly felt like that in the throne room there. Yeah, yeah. No, he could pay. I mean, he could pay too steep a price and 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 lose the city the other way. Right. 
So, C- Civil War. I mean, you want to talk about King's Landing. And also he's got to talk a, about Marine. He's got to answer to when Danny comes back. Yeah. Like, he better have something that she believes in and doesn't think he pissed away, like, what she thought was right and didn't take the principled stand. Um, yeah. Uh, but that's it's so I've always felt like her strategy has been kind of dumb, though. Like, that principled stand is fine and well for your heart. Yeah. But it, it oftentimes doesn't win the day. Well, you've got the practice. I mean, that's there are other you're a pragma- things to look pragmatist at. and not a idealist and she's very much an idealist well th- but that's what i mean like you need to be somewhat You're a right, pragmatist lead. to actually to lead yeah and to to win these battles of, of hearts unless and you have the ability and... to like you know wave a magic wand and make the world inform which and, and she, she just might right that's now. what i'm saying yeah. that's the thing about her being an idealist is she just might have the power to yeah. remake the world in the image she could break the wheel as she said last season yeah so it's one of those things where it's like well yeah uh, if you weren't the mother of dragons, you wouldn't get away with this. And but I, I mean, I, sure. I got, it's just nice and refreshing to see in your entertainment where people have substantive disagreements where no one is just you know, oh, well, you got the idiot ball this week, Grey Worm. So you make some bullshit, right. Emotional thing that's based on nothing and out of your character. It's it's nice to see that. Yeah. So uh, and also it's nice to see um, scheming and politicking back in Game of Thrones. Absolutely. With, with people that are good at playing it. Tyrion, like, yeah. Tywin's great. been dead. Tyrion's been exiled. <laughs> right. Olena's been kind of on the outs. We've had seasons kind of Cersei and Danny, uh, both ineptly at the wheel of state. And it's nice to see kind of and like... the High Sparrow, who I the high have Sparrow, a revulsion sh- for. Sure, like... <laughs> sure. He's playing... The, but he was playing... He was playing checkers with a bunch of three-year-olds. And Alaria, like... Yeah. God, uh... Yeah, it's nice to see people um, doing their thing with, with skill. Right. Even Cersei is like, I don't know if this is going to be a reflection of what b- book Cersei becomes, but holy shit, when when she's doing her thing later on, she seems very smart and competent and pragmatic yeah. and like, uh, did, maybe she was paying attention to Tywin all those years. Maybe. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeny. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. We're about 10 weeks out from House of the Dragon Season 2, and it's time to prepare for war. Which in our case means, well, watching a lot of Hot D and reading a lot of Fire and Blood. Each week between now and June 16th, 
Maester Anthony and his co-host Steve are hosting a watch of each episode of Hot D Season 1. And then me and Jim are going to host a discussion of the differences between the events on that episode and how they're recounted in George R.R. Martin's historical tome, Fire and Blood. That's right, I've resorted to reading dragon books. God help us all. We'll see if my fresh eyes add any new insights or predictions into Season 2. Arm yourselves with all the lore you can for the battles ahead. House of the Dragon returns June 16th, but we've got you covered until then. Check out all of our upcoming Hot D coverage on the Hot D feed or on Bald Move Pulp, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, you know what's not fun to see? Jorah and Dario continue to, to, especially Dario, continue to be a real shit about this Danny thing. Like... <laughs> Why? Why do you got to rub it in, man? We're, we've got a mission here. Just he wasn't disciplined as a let child. Let it be. He wasn't. He needs to be disciplined now. Which I don't. Uh, I don't buy. Here's that's, the thing: that, if you don't want to fight Jorah, shut your fucking mouth. Like, because you're you're instigating, right? As much as as much as Cersei doesn't want to instigate the High Sparrow, or or Tommen doesn't want to instigate the High Sparrow, Jor- Jorah, come leave Jorah alone. But if Jorah attacked him, and I, I mean, I think he's protesting a bit too much because number one. If he was raised in the slave pits of wherever, there's no fucking way he didn't get disciplined. Every single time he was annoying shit, You're he probably right. got the taste yeah. smacked out of his mouth at best. Yeah. Uh, so that's bullshit. Number two, um, I think he would like to provoke Jorah in a fight because he's seen Jorah puff and, uh, and huff up this hill. If mm-hmm. Jorah draws down on him and he kills him, he's, you know, to put in Raylan Givens' terms, justified then what the fuck can Danny say? And he's just eliminated this annoying Oh, it's rival. not about Danny. It's about his his popular popular opinion of Dario, right? Like, uh-huh. if I kill you, I'm the shit who killed but I'm saying, man. like, I, Sure, but I'm, I'm just saying that I think I think Dario's... He doesn't give a shit about what people think of him. Probably not. If, no. if he did, then he wouldn't betray his old comrades and deliver his heads to Danny. Right. So... Yeah. Well, of course, that was a different Dario. <laughs> Literally. Uh, and the other thing <laughs> is, like, some of this one. discussion feels foolish because by the end of the episode, I think he's yet again a different Dario. Like, he's a Dar- like like what Jorah said about him. Like, I'm sad that she chosen you because you're just going to use her and get tired of her and mm-hmm. not be there for her. I don't know that that's true anymore. I think Dar I think Dario is a as a had a you know Saul on the road to Damascus situation. The scales have fallen from his eyes, and he sees Danny for what she is. Okay. Which is like, I mean, he was saying it before, but I think he yeah. feels it now. Like, this is a special woman who could be this great leader. Yeah, he literally sees it. Yes, I mean, yes, it's hard to ignore. Uh, l- let me describe the scene real quick. So they're continuing their search for Danny. Uh, they spot the Dothraki city and shed their weapons so they can blend in. Uh, during the process of of getting rid of their weapons, Dario notices Jorah's grayscale, which I'm assuming is going to come into play later. Uh, they sneak into the city, but they're spotted by a couple Dothraki, and then they pretend to be traitors, but Dothraki aren't buying it. Not one bit. And they, they have to kill both of these guys. Holy shit, that's a, that's a lot of scenes we were just recapped. Um, so the one thing I well, want to talk yeah, about... Yeah, it's kind of a long long string of... One thing I want to talk about is, I think the show's intentionally showing us that Jorah has lost a step. Cause because I immediately knew that he kept that knife. Like, there was no surprise there whatsoever. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about Jorah's huffing and puffing. Oh, yeah. And his getting that. Admittedly, this guy is a much larger, much younger man. Yeah. But we saw Jorah mow down arenas full of professional fighters. I think this... Mow down? I mean, he was saved... Wasn't he saved? I'm talking about how he got to there. 
he mowed oh, okay. down, yeah. and then he was doing well, and you know he was winning in the pits. Um, what I, what I'm saying is that I wonder if they're suggesting this grayscale is costing him a physical toll. He's not the same Jora. Could be that was able yeah. to defeat Dothraki in single combat. Was able to win in pit fights against professional fighters, mm-hmm. and certainly couldn't beat Dario at this point. And also. Thank you, Dario, for not being a total dumbass and bringing a blade into the city. Yeah. Because I was, the whole time I was thinking, like, uh, yeah, you might be right, but you might not have to fight 100,000 Dothraki. You might have to fight two or three in a dark alley. And then, like, (laughs) seconds after I had that thought, that's exactly what they're doing. Yeah. So thank God that he actually hit a dagger on him. I was not fooled. I don't don't know if anybody was, but... Well, my I, God, it was so transparent. Jorah turns his back at the end, and he's and like, he "I'll do it, do it myself." myself. Yeah, like, sure. Come on. Come well, on. good, good call on you because I didn't, I didn't catch that at first. But also, like, yeah, I get not jingle jangling with your long swords and your <laughs> stuff at your side, but yeah, have a yeah. dagger. That's such a huge advantage if yeah. you're infiltrating. You know. Yep. Uh, whatever. Uh, you just don't tuck the the dagger into the front of your pants. Like some people tuck guns in the front of their pants. Mm. It's a bad idea, especially with a dagger. Mm-hmm. You get all sliced up down there. Like with a gun, it's only bad if it goes off. But see, someone someone put in. I don't know if it's, they're joking or being serious. But when Grey Worm's walking around, you can see like he's got like a you know a cock and ball bulge in his the front of his pants. Oh, you got to tape that shit down. Well, that's what someone is saying. I'm like, well, maybe he's just hiding his favorite dagger, like Dario, in the one place where people won't expect it. <laughs> his cock shaped dagger. Is that what he's got? Well, Dario's got a woman shaped dagger. Right, I mean, right. why not? What, why not? That's, that's, that's crazy. Uh, he stole from a cock merchant. Uh, <laughs> it's a dwarf cock shaped dagger. No, uh, it's more of a tormund. No, oh, okay. um, but no, I, I, I'm just saying. Um, I, I thought that was nice. I also loved the failed sand pocket sand trick. Right, that was <laughs> so fucking and... funny. Uh, I just, just looks at him like, missed. do you think like, that was going to work? Like, I was going to take you to the cows, now I'm just going to beat your ass to death. And then Dario <laughs> right. comes in. I've seen Bloodsport. Uh, I was ready for that. And then the fact that Dario thought to smash his head in with a rock to cover up his stab wound, yep. which I thought, I wonder if that will work. And then when they see later on the cows scene debating, and I'm like, man, these guys yep. are a bunch of idiots. Uh, yeah, they just don't care. And I think that's something we're supposed to understand about them, but we can yeah. talk about that when we get there. There's a lot of reasons to want them to die, uh, but yeah, we'll get there. Danny listens to the eldest of the widows, the Dothraki widows here, go on about Dothraki bloodlines and some other bullshit, and then leaves with one of the younger widows to make water, mm-hmm. but uh, she really just wants some fresh air. And then Jorah and Dario find her, and she comes up with a plan on the fly that we don't see until later, until it's executed. I thought it was interesting how like you know Dario sees the Dothraki drinking and fucking, he's like, oh... I should have been born in Dothraki, and then uh-huh. this Dosh Kaleen is essentially a cautionary tale for anybody like fucking Dario that would glorify the Dothraki culture. Because sure, there's the love of battle and the casual attitude towards sex, and I guess they're nominally a matriarchy, but then the whole thing is built on a platform of thievery and rape. So, sure, yeah, <laughs> as a lot, a lot of you know older civilizations were. <laughs> but I'm just saying that, like you. Well, I think there's a lot of romanticizing of 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 the of the Dothraki and like you know pump the brakes on that. Maybe they need new leadership. Yeah, I guess I'm not I'm not on board with the the Dothraki train. Like I, so much of their their culture and their I don't know if it's just so hard to to know like to memorize all these names and to really understand their culture for me mm-hmm. 
that I, I gloss over it like I would with any fantasy type uh-huh. shit. Um, but I'm just, you know, I, I see the Dothraki as bloodthirsty raiders, and that's kind of it. I haven't, I haven't really delved into the the depths. Yeah, that's of an Dothraki unfortunate culture. science fiction fantasy trope. It's like you know when you show Klingons on Star Trek, it's you don't ever get to see the Klingon who's the sensitive poet. They're all fucking bloodthirsty oh, but, but warrior. It's Worf. Worf. He's battling against his his human nature. I, sure. Sure, but then again, they, he's seen as lesser a Klingon because of those right. things when he gets Absolutely. the real Klingon. So, I mean, but I just mean like all of this is so many, so many wheelbarrows, sure, mounted up yep. on top of each other, and I just at some top point tropes, go riding tropes. I can't keep it all straight, and sure. I'm not deep enough in this culture, so I'll, you know, just forget all of it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I'm I'm sure you have a better grasp on Dothraki. I, I don't even know the names of these these people like. I don't either. I they they're all dead. And there's the two important ones will probably, you know, it's the old the, the old right. Dashkaleen and the young Dashkaleen to me. <laughs> Dashkaleen. Like what is Dashkaleen? Can you can you explain that? Yeah, for so like some all people? the all the widows me of the mostly. cows go to the capital city. That's why I say they're nominally a matriarchy because they have some great religious and spiritual and advisory power and that you can tell that the right. cows are deferential to them and there's like rules of conduct of things you can't do. But on the other hand, I think we're seeing in this season is that how much of that power is real because the cows get to pick all their targets. Like, if sure. Josh Colleen's only power is you can't bring swords in their cities and they can use, like, have a woman eat a horse heart and give a prophecy that may be meaningless. So the Dosh Colleen are the widows yes. of the cows? Okay. Yeah, that's like that ruling council. But I'm wondering, I'm starting to speculate, like, how much do they really rule? But then there's. A, a council, an actual council that comes together to decide what that's to do what with I'm Danny, saying, which is made up of cows. Like that's what I'm what saying. What is that called? That you, uh, you know I, the name I for that? forget that it's like, it's essentially a grand calazar. Okay, but it's like I, I, I don't know what they they called it either. But it's like a right. cow moot. <laughs> the the, the wo- words are so foreign to me, and the culture is so foreign. I just can't get my head around. It's it, Burning but. Man. <laughs> Burning cow. Yeah, Burning cow. Pretty much twenty nine or two thousand or two two ninety eight. <laughs> oh man! Uh, so we go over to Marjorie, whose situation I do understand a little bit better. She's taken to see the High Sparrow. He tells some long, stupid story about he gave up how he gave up his successful cobbling business and turned to religion because his friends looked terrible naked and they smelled bad. Uh, then he takes her to see her brother this... Loris, and she tells him to stay strong, but it doesn't look like he's going to be able to. I don't know. I mean, this guy seems like the kind of sexually repressed religious political leader that is almost like, you know, a joke in America at this point. Like, right. He because he was talking about like what he's doing. I'm like, okay, well, I don't know how you feel about prostitution, but spending charging a fair price for quality product. I mean, he's essentially real. He's he's. It's it's like I I've suddenly am disgusted and repulsed by my deep seated loathing of myself, and now I'm going to force everyone to have this same thing that I right. I organically I organically had this this uh, you know call to faith, right? It's but like, I'm going it's like to a force everyone at 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 pain of hammer to have the same epiphany. Yeah, it's like it's like a minister who who realizes that he's gay and then doubles exactly. down on doubles down on the truth. Like as order. he was talking about the details of the women and the wine, you could almost see him salivating. Like he wants right. that so bad, but he And I don't know why he's equating riches with sin. Like there's nothing inherent about being wealthy that 
well, that is sinful. Sure. He he seems to think like the natural state of humanity is about to be power poor. that is corrupt either. But like I that's mean, what I mean. Like yeah. he would would he say the same about like Danny? Would he say the same about uh, other people who are in power who are not who are not Loris? Who are not sure? No, like I feel like this is all intentional allegory. A- absolutely, yeah. which is why I think he's a ridiculous character. Like yeah. his philosophies are ridiculous. His his. It Methods are ridiculous. More and I mean, more like this is a, a piece of marketing than it is a genuine person. Yeah, uh, I don't know, and and I will admit I have a reflexive. Uh, oh yeah, dislike yep. of this character given my here. my history and my experience in life. So <laughs> I can see why people would maybe defend this guy a little bit more than I would. But, sure, sure. Uh, and you know that we get the title here, Book of the Stranger. That's apparently the Bible of this religion, mm-hmm. uh, the the Quran, the well, Torah of this religion. That's, that's the book of the seven pointed star, which is the Bible of the culture. The book it's called the seven right. pointed star. Bo- this is book the, of the, the strangers book. Yeah, R- right. This is a chapter. This is like or like yeah. I guess you got the books of the Bible and the Bi- yeah. the seven pointed star is the kan- canon. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm being, so, I'm being pedantic. Is there any? You can tell right, me to go fuck. You myself. definitely are. Go fuck yourself. Thank uh, you. Is, is there any greater relevance here for the title of this episode? Do Do you see? I I don't know. Perhaps cobblers abandoning their way of life. Perhaps <laughs> sin equated as riches. Like, where Where are we going with this? Because um, because normally a title doesn't just describe a scene. I don't know if I want to be cheeky. I'd say there is a you know reference to a spiritual change after walking through a graveyard. That's in, that's interesting. Um, right. I also think that there was there, so, so a couple emailers because you know we are famous for playing the name game. Tried to yeah. make, but I didn't include them because it's just kind of a stretch. But they're like, uh, you you could look at Sansa and John reuniting as kind of like they've always been strangers and. No, but I think but it's less literal. That's what I'm I don't saying, think this title yeah. is literally about strangers. It's about that principle. Yeah. Um that's that's quoted in the book of the stranger. Yeah. I agree. I agree. Um okay, let's go to the the high council. Oh, wait a second. Did we talk about uh, oh, her wait. meeting her brother? Her meeting her brother. Yeah. Uh we I I mentioned that it happened. Okay, so I want to talk about it? that cuz we were kind of puzzled or we didn't really puzzled but we were kind of talking about like what all that meant and as i've seen it more it seems clear to me that the high septon intended that marjorie would help break loris or uh, that marjorie thought that 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 she was like you know pretending to be moved by this and she came in and she's trying to pump her brother up but the High Sparrow realized he already had broken Loris, and he was going to break Marjorie with Loris. She thought the one thing, and it was actually the other situation, and I thought that was kind of pretty interesting political maneuvering by him. All right, so we move on to Pycel counseling Tommen on how to handle this High Sparrow situation uh, when Cersei strolls up to talk to Tommen. Tommen says they can't put Marjorie at risk by antagonizing the High Sparrow, but Cersei says the High Sparrow needs to be taught a lesson in respect, and Tommen says that he promised the High Sparrow he wouldn't tell anyone something, something that we don't see. Who's playing who here, Jim? Uh, everybody's playing everybody. I mean, because <laughs> it's the Game of Thrones. You're, you know, anytime you have someone saying, I'm not supposed to tell you something, but that seems like it's a boon for the person hearing it. 
Right. But do you think the High Sparrow is smart enough to know that he's going to run back and tell his mother and he's setting a trap for them to do what they're going to do, which is try to massively overreach against this popular movement? I think he could be. I think he could be. Uh, I, I certainly would give him enough credit uh, on his strategy. He does seem shrewd for a shoemaker. Yep. yep. That doesn't wear shoes. <laughs> I'm on the you, High Sparrow. <laughs> right? I mean, he said he walked out without his shoes. Didn't even take his shoes. Never worn shoes since. Nope. Uh, yeah, That's I, his, I think You know he's... what? That's the thing. It's not about the horrors and the wine. It was just burning out. Right. Uh, you know, you've made your... You, <laughs> You made your hundredth shoot, and it's like you know what? Fuck this! I put twelve weeks into these shoes. I got a silver piece. Yeah, this is not this is not working out, man. Yeah, I'm gonna go podcast. No, apparently it was affluent. I think it was all the stink of his friends. It was just <laughs> like, oh god, these people. If only they. Ugh. If only he hung out with more attractive uh, people that were right. more into cleanliness. This never would have happened. Yeah, it's the butterfly flaps that uh, <laughs> cause a typhoon in Westeros. But yeah, certainly he's playing a deeper game as he always is. Uh, it's up to Cersei to kind of figure it out. And is she going to? Because she immediately then goes to the high council or or the small council with Jamie to get things back on track. And she says that Marjorie can't be allowed to make her walk of atonement, which causes Elena to perk up and listen because uh, she's on board with that. Mm-hmm. And then Jamie tells Kevin, look, you're going to stand down. The Tyrell army show up and capture or kill the High Sparrow and you you will not have disobeyed the king. And so. also, even if you did, if the end result is the sparrows are gone, Marjorie's back in his bed. Uh, Tom is not going to care. Tom is going to be like, good job, uncle. Right. He's going to be too busy with a, a marathon fuck session. Like, yeah. Yeah. He's not even going to notice. <laughs> he won't come out of his chambers for days. Right. Uh, no, yeah. You're, I, I think that's that's pretty interesting. But So I thought on second watch... There is an interesting thing. I noticed that like there was a little bit of a twinkle in Lady Olena's eyes about, you know, when when Cersei was essentially saying, Oh, oh, your troops are gonna stand down and let my armies into this city and uh-huh. we're established rivals. Huh, okay, this is a nice unexpected opportunity for me to seize. Right. But the music, which I guess I interpret, I mean, that's all the editors and that's the showrunners' choices, right? The music started playing the Reigns of Castamere underneath mm-hmm. this dialogue, which implies that this is a Lannister revenge. Is that uh, the Double D's, you know, zigging where we're expecting him to zagging? Or am I am I correct that Lady Olenna is going to try to capitalize on this? Is there some way that this is a trap to Cersei? Because I thought that Cersei was pretty amazing in this scene when she's like, you know, the High Sparrow seized power and knew we'd bicker among ourselves rather than seize the power back. Yes. Here we are. Well done to us. Like, kind of like, you think I'm the idiot, but you guys have played the game too. We're all idiots. Yes. We're all come together. Let's put our idiot heads together and figure this thing out. (laughs) Sure. Sure. Uh, And put our idiot swords together, most importantly. Uh, Mm. Yeah, I, I think this could be... There could be a lot of opportunities for double-crossing. I think the Tyrells could say, hey, we've got an army in here, like you said. Let's do this thing and take King's Landing for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other way it could go, she, uh, Elena mentions this, this civil war that could happen if, if we kill the High Spirit, yeah. right? Um, and they might have to squash that. But I see an opportunity for Cersei to blame all of the goings-on on the Tyrells because... Kevin Lannister at the at this point will have stepped down, will have said, I want no part of this. 
The yeah. Tyrells will have forcibly brought their armies in and killed the High Sparrow. She can point the finger and say, these are the people you should be angry at. Or if it fails, here, here, she can say, hey, High Sparrow, I, you know, it wasn't our right. troops that was in it. It was all right. these guys. So, yeah, that's... Which is understandable. You're holding their, their daughter. And also, they established that the Lannisters have the largest army. Mm-hmm. And uh, you wonder, like, what... Because that's the other thing I'm wondering. And some people want us to talk about, like, the relative military standings of everybody left on the board. And It'd so be we heard nice, the, at the least, Bol- in King's Landing. Well, so we heard the Boltons have 5,000. Right. But we don't know how many troops we have in the Vale, although that's kind of, like, one of the kingdoms that never threw in. We don't know how big of an uh, army that the... Uh, uh, Martells have down in Dorne, although, and they're kind of right. an unspoiled army. Wildlings uh, are like 2K. And, and the Tyrells kind of were the mop-up force. They never really did a lot of heavy wars mm-hmm. in the War of the Five Kings, so like maybe they're... But the Lannisters still have the biggest force, so it's like, are we, are we talking 20,000, 30,000? With the Tyrells mm-hmm. being 15, 20, and the Boltons being 5? It would be, it'd be nice to know how many pieces we have on the board at this point. It would be, yeah, because I, I don't have a good sense of how strong the Lannister army is uh, at no. this point. It really, it honestly feels like they've just got Robert the Strong and the King's Guard, <laughs> and that's pretty much it. But we sure. know that they have a lot more. Yeah, yeah. In reserve, uh, but yeah, I, I do see a lot of opportunities for double cross on both sides here. So it'll be interesting to see how this battle plays out, not only with the High Sparrow and the people of King's Landing, but also between the Tyrells and the uh, Lannisters. Sure. Uh, let's move on to Theon. He's on the Iron Islands. He's speaking with, uh, Yara, who rakes him over the gilt coals, wants nothing to do with him until he promises that he doesn't want to be king, and instead he wants to actually help her become queen, whatever, and rule. Yeah, I, I like the scene, I just don't know how Theon helps, because, may, I mean... Maybe she keeps him as a behind-the-scene advisor, but he's no Tyrion. No. Like I mentioned God, no. on, on the instant cast, I kind of saw him as this, you know, dandy that didn't have any real experience and was full of swagger and self-importance, but had nothing really to back it up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know that his political insights have gotten sharper after he got broken by Ramsay Bolton, so... I don't know what he brings to the table other than emotional support, and he's kind of emotionally unstable. Great. Right? Great. So it's like, and, and also if he's like publicly supporting her, assuming the Iron Islands know about, you know, him having his favorite toy taken away, I wonder what the Iron Islanders would think of that. I don't think anything good. I think they're very much uh, would be of the opinion that if you are minus cock and balls, that you're no man at all. Mm-hmm. So that would be a political liability. Yeah, I like I hypothesized in the instant take. I wonder if he has some kind of sway during this King's Moot thing. I know you can't really talk about it, but what what I, I can't talk throwing... about it because Theon is not is not th- this is a remix that all this oh, stuff. That's yeah, right. that's what I'm saying like this right. is completely kind. Of, it's not completely off. Of, I mean. Uh, the characters have been shuffled up, and I don't know what's going to happen. I, I just wonder if him throwing his hat in the ring during the King's Moot for Yara would actually do anything for her, would give her some sort of extra claim. It just depends if the other whoever Iron, else if the Iron Islanders know that he is unmanned. It, I think that it would not. If they don't know, then that's probably something they pay attention to. Really? So, so his bloodline without minus cock and balls means nothing. 
I don't think it means nothing, but that does seem to be the way of the people is that they, it's not even necessary hereditary thing. It's a, uh, you know, who can make the best claim for the the throne. It's more, it's, it's a weirdly democratic system. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Strange. I mean, it's a kleptocracy. It's more of than a democracy, but, but you know, that's they're, yeah. they're, they're, they're again, it's like the Dothraki. They're literally a nation of pirates. Yeah. So, and I, I can't say enough. This is the scene that really did it for me in this episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this moment between Yara and Theon here. Uh, I have since the instant cast looked up the the woman who plays Yara. Her name's Gemma. I guess that's how you pronounce it, Gemma Whelan. Mm-hmm. And she's incredible. Alfie Allen in this scene, incredible. I I think those two play really well off each other. Yeah. Uh, and I was just enthralled by this scene. Yeah, I thought it was great. I just the thing is that kept me from making it as awesome like putting up there with like the uh john and sansa scenes is just i don't with them i see like not only is this awesome reunion but i definitely see where this is going and it's awesome Hmm. the Greyjoy stuff i'm like yeah it's an awesome reunion scene but i don't immediately see how it's going to pan out so it's slightly less exciting Hmm. but yeah you're right i I guess i don't care it's (laughs) you're right it's executed at a very high artistic level and that should be good enough for me and emotional level like theon comes back my god theon's as much as he was destroyed during yeah. all the shit he went through with Ramsay, yeah, and and then Sansa, like it's twice he's as much. He's got that Canadian thing where it's like, "Sorry, stop saying that." Sorry, you know, like, <laughs> right. he can't stop. It's yes, it's reflexive the at this point. The Greyjoys, the Canadians of Westeros. <laughs> uh, so we go over to Ramsay, who invites Asha into his chambers for some sexy time. Kinda actually to just feel her out, actually just to kill her. I mean, let's let's be honest. He's he knows what he's doing here before he even gets into it. Yeah, he, he's questioning her about her loyalty, but it's all a ruse. It's all a sham. Uh, um, too soon, too soon. Don't don't be mentioning ruse. <laughs> uh, Asha attempts to dreadfort still uh, uh, mourning. She attempts to use his paring knife to kill him, but instead he kills her, revealing that he knew exactly who she was all along sure. and what she had done, thanks to Theon's confession during his torture. So. My big question is, I thought when I was watching this that this was a very transparent effort by Asha, even yeah. in hindsight knowing that Ramsey knew. And my question is, was this intended to be shown as transparent, or was this a slightly off execution? And is the fact that I'm in mentally debating this, meaning that is an incredible execution that, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um... Like the way, like she was like, I've seen her do this more effectively of course again theon's kind of an idiot he probably should have seen it coming the other way too i think it was well executed i mean we know from the outset that asha is there to kill him right the way she looks at that knife well what i I mean is like i feel like that it wasn't as transparent and this is why i think this is all intentionally when she walks into the room and he's peeling the apple flaying Mm -hmm. the apple right exactly and she says you know do you eat them afterwards after you flay them and he goes no he's like well then i've seen worse which is a reference that we know to the thins and all that stuff yeah her as you know a wildling and what all she's seen north of the wall Mm -hmm. i felt like that was all working but there was a point where it seems like she kind of knew that he was cottoning on to her and there was a little bit of a desperation to her performance because he kept on calling out things like and she was you know like oh you hated the starks eh why were you defending rickon and she's like oh well i could get a fetch a fair price for him I mean, this is just Ramsey playing his games. He already knows the outcome of this. I know, but what I'm saying is I felt like her performance degraded as it 
became aware of the possibility in her mind that Ramsey was ready for her. That's and it's really. Not I feel even like that a, wasn't even a possibility in yeah. her mind until she had the knife in her neck. Like uh, I'd see, I, I took it as because I, I thought that she's capable of giving a better performance, but she was rattled. Or maybe she hmm. just wasn't executing okay. uh, from an acting and directing standpoint. But I'm more inclined to go with the former. All right, and it's weird because I, like, I guess I didn't see any of that. In yeah, this no. Scene. So I could just be crazy. Okay, that's always a possibility. <laughs> I could be reading after watching this three times. I could be reading too much into these yeah, moments. Yeah, and I mean, you know, it, it's we know so much about this scene going into it that it's everything is transparent to us. So, so how much are we supposed to be on yeah. board with what Asha is doing, and how much are we supposed to understand what Ramsey is doing? Yeah, and I saw like, a lot of people reiterating how tired they are of seeing Ramsey killing people, but I feel like that. He needed to at this point, like with Asha being like, if you're going to introduce Asha at all, then she had this, this having her be alive would string us along thinking that she, cause a lot of people last week are like, Oh, she's going to Theon everybody and assassinate everybody. And the North remembers all that kind of right. stuff. No, let's um, put the kibosh on that immediately. Yeah. But also there's so many things arrayed against Ramsey. We know that the wildlings are uniting oh, with John yeah. and Sansa's wanting him to reunite the Northern Lords and, and little fingers march from the veil like your your time's up bastard yeah so can't wait to see that yeah so i felt like it is a little bit more tolerable just because you see the writing on the wall for him being finished yeah. so like enjoy your killings while you can enjoy your classic asshole eating an apple scene like right. there's no no better way to show someone's an asshole than have them eat an apple and that's what they do here yep classic jj abrams move You've been listening to quite a few Bald Move podcasts now, but you're not in the club? Whoo boy, you are missing out. Not only are all of our premium club podcast feeds completely ad-free, but we have lots of other great content exclusively for people in the club. There's a weekly lunch with Jim and Aaron where we chat with fans about anything and everything from TV and films, food, fun, life advice, and more. But there's also Off the Clock, our premium podcast where we talk about all the shows we don't have time for on our public feeds. Plus, you get access to our full, spoiler-filled, first-round movie reviews of our newly released films. Don't forget Instant Take and Talk Podcast, where we give our hot takes and discuss television shows with our fans live and immediately after the episode airs. With mega shows like House of the Dragon coming this summer, we're going to have lots to talk about. Not to mention access to our fun and friendly community of club members, with exclusive Discord channels and a dedicated forum. It's one of the best places on the internet to hang out and chat about pop culture. Bottom line, you're helping two regular type guys in the Midwest make the content you like to listen to, which some would say is reward unto itself. Help keep the lights on and the bits flowing at Bald Move. And get some awesome content for yourself. Head to support.baldmove.com to join the club today. Mission podcasts are an awesome feature here at Bald Move that allows you, the individual listener, to decide what we talk about for a single podcast. The community loves it because it often leads to fun fan favorite films and TV shows that we've overlooked getting the coverage they deserve. And we love it because we're constantly exposed to great stuff that's not even on our radar. 
The way it works is simple. You go to support.baldmove.com and you click on commissions. Then you pay the flat rate for the commission and tell us what two-ish hours of content you'd like us to make podcasts on. Then we'll contact you for details, advanced feedback, and any dedications you'd like to make. Then we watch the thing, discuss the thing, turn it into a podcast, and pump it right into your ears. We get consistently great feedback on how much our commissioners love their podcast, and they make great gifts for the dedicated Bald Move fan in your life. And who knows, that dedicated fan could even be you. Treat yourself. Check out support.baldmove.com for more info. Uh... A letter oh, they from... ripped that from the Bible. You know, Eve eats the apple, things fall to shit. <laughs> Eve, the the proto asshole. You, you, you can't you can't get any more back in history than that, can you, Jim? Uh, Creation of the world, arguably, <laughs> arguably. Let's move on to a letter from the Boltons arriving at Castle Black. We know it. We immediately know it's from the Boltons. We don't need to see the seal. We see the shield. Uh, John reads it. He says, uh, "Well, it says, hey, we've got Rickon, and his skin is looking oh so good for peeling." Give me back Sansa, or we'll come do some nasty things to you. I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, Sansa seizes the opportunity to talk John into agreeing to take back Winterfell. And he does agree, but they can't quite do it with the 2,000 wildlings who can fight. So who knows where they're going to get their other armies. But he's on the warpath, at least. he wants. He's, he's on board with Sansa's goal of taking back Winterfell. Yeah. Uh, I like this scene. This was a you know it's slightly reshuffling of the events and facts from the the final book. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like the fact that um, some people pointed out in the subreddits that this lyrical structure of "I'm going to tell you something awful that happens and then come and see" is echoed in the Book of Revelations when they're opening up the seven seals of judgment against the earth and the sea. Hmm. And at af, after each seal is open and something awful happens, like the sun is blotted out or a plague of locusts or the, you know, beast comes and walks the earth. They are, the angel always says, uh, come and see. So okay. do you think that was a deliberate aping of the, it could give it kind of like that I nice mean, with, with condemnatory the... old Testament. Well, I guess it'd be new Testament, you yeah. know, ring to it. Like, yeah, I mean, with the title of the show, uh, this episode being kind Book of, a of biblical a Stranger, reference, sure. the sort of Westerosi mm-hmm. Seven Gods book uh, yeah. of the Bible. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. And I like how Sansa won't let John off the hook and equivocate because she sees, yeah. like, Tormund, like, as much as he was gnawing on that chicken bone and looking at Brienne, he's now intently looking at John reading this letter. Uh-huh. Like, this is getting his blood boiling, and John's wanting to let off the gas when she's like, nope, we need to read this whole fucking thing into the record. Yeah. I want all this stuff ringing in their ears when they go back to discuss the wisdom of joining forces with us, and shows that Absolutely. he's a much much more natural politician yeah, than, it, than John is. it makes is. me like... So, uh, let, me, let me say two words. We can cut this if you need to, but pink letter. Okay. That's what this letter is called, yes? In the books, yeah. In the books. Because it's it's sealed in like a pink wax. Can we talk about that at all? Is I, I here's where my tinfoil theory comes in, because I okay. don't know about the pink letter. All I know is it is a letter that John receives that incites him to do, to do whatever what he's, he's doing, gonna do. The, the Winterfell the books, yeah. gambit. Uh-huh. Uh is there any chance that this actually isn't from the Boltons? Could this be from Littlefinger? Because Littlefinger has had access to the Boltons, has had ac- had access to, you know, their their sta- whatever mm-hmm. the wax seal thing is called. I forget the name the of that. The signet ring or whatever. Sure. Uh, he could potentially have that in his possession. Mm-hmm. 
is there any chance that he wants a clash at Winterfell before he gets it's there? It's funny because there was a lot of speculation on who the author of the pink letter was in the books because that's kind of, you know, okay. obviously it's a letter. It's not Ramsay himself coming forth and telling them these things. And a yeah. lot of the popular speculation was that Stannis sent it because he was trying to, as a last-ditch effort to get John to get out, of you know, bring his we're, wildlings we're down pretty and, and sure bail his ass true. out. He's right. dead in the show. Uh-huh. Another popular theory was that Root, that 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 Roos was tired of his son. We know that's and not he true. He was trying to provoke this and the the happening, and Roos is dead. So like, I don't know that Littlefinger got a lot of play in the books, or if that's a because his plot is way far kind of advanced from where we left him in the books. But okay, it does make sense if he wants to march with the Vale and get there kind of at the same time. Why not join forces with John's army and, you know, kind of do it at half the personal cost to yourself? Right. And then now, what is his play and for Sansa? Well, well, Sansa could have been a long con, right? He could have hoped that, that John would hear about it, hoped that Ramsay would make a mistake and John would come marching south with some some armies yeah. and, and help destroy the Boltons. Uh, that didn't happen, clearly. Sansa got away and now she's north. Maybe he, this is a second attempt. Yeah, and how does this? But how does this help Littlefinger's position? Because it puts well, it would hurt the the Bolton armies. I, I don't know how many armies, how many men or people uh, Littlefinger has at this moment. Uh-huh. But five thousand is nothing to sneeze at, especially in a siege scenario. Well, he did promise. He did promise a young man to to Elena. Yeah, and is that is, or was it? Yeah, it was Elena. It, it, or, or was it to Cersei? No, it was Elena. Okay, in, that's in what I his, thought his brothel. Is this a long con to marry off Robin to Marjorie? Like, as, as, and then oh, this would explain Jesus. the twinkle in Elena's eye. The long con. Can you extrapolate? Like, how would that work? Like, essentially, that lady that oh, they're going to team up together to overthrow the Lannisters, with the understanding that Marjorie once again will be married off to yet another. So he's consolidating the king. forces of the North. Through through you know yes, weakening he's the Bolton march armies, in there he's going to take and, Winterfell and Sansa. My the only thing is I don't know what Sansa thinks of Littlefinger at this point. I think that she's going to be smart enough to see through his bullshit. Yeah, and maybe that's that his underestimating her is what's mm-hmm. going to be his downfall. Could be, um, but yeah, I mean, I, in in his mind, I see if if I grant you your tinfoil theory that it's Littlefinger <laughs> writing the the, the and the, it's as tinfoil as it gets, and it's not very well supported. Um. Well, I mean, because as I said, it's it's stupid on the face of Ramsay to write this letter because he's giving away the element of surprise and he's also in But that's kind attention. of also in character. Yes, you're so, right. Um, yeah. But that's why it's such a beautiful piece of tinfoil. Yes. Uh, Littlefinger gains the fact that Sansa and John and Rickon are going to feel grateful that he's helped them in their war. Sure. Which solidifies... Especially if he gives them Winterfell. It solidifies right? his influence over the North and also makes sure... It essentially keeps him as the Warden of the uh, the East, or the yep. Warden of the, the Vale. vale. Yep. Uh, he cements his position there. Maybe he can suggest that Robin and Sansa get married, which would further solidify... I mean, I, I don't know like how far down the line do you want me to try to anticipate, but there's definitely right. some advantages for him. The disadvantage of Sands is like, you fucked me on this Bolton thing. Yep. Clap him in irons. He's gone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how it's going to play out for Littlefinger. And I don't know that Littlefinger needs to kind of survive his own manipulations, right? I think maybe he could get caught up in his game so intensely You're climbing that he the la- gets the, it the, out of hand. Climbing the ladder of chaos... It's not yeah. a stable thing. No. Like, you can just as easily break your neck. I just played through Uncharted. I know all about <laughs> unstable ladders. Okay. 
No spoilers, man. <laughs> it's not a spoiler to say there's an unstable ladder <laughs> in Uncharted. Ladder. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, but yeah, I mean, it's it's impossible to see everything. But I yeah. Uh, and and good job on you because that was you definitely served up some dry pie to oh, the feedbackers. Taste it. But I I was kind of blown away at that suggestion. Like it. It's one of those things I kind of felt ashamed because, like, oh, man, I should have picked up on that. That's certainly a possibility. It's possible. Uh, Let me throw this out. Do you think John's a little selfish for only fighting for his family? Like, only when Rickon is is under threat of flaying? Uh, He laid out a pretty good case of why he's had his fill of fighting. I I agree. I agree. I mean, to the extent that, like, here's the other thing is, like, I don't have a problem with people being selfish. It's kind of like the... I mean, there's an extreme sure. to it, but like you know, it's it's the classic uh, when the airplane's going down. Even if it's your three year old sitting beside you, you put your own mask on first because if you can't help and care for yourself, you can't take care of anyone else. Absolutely, but I know there's going to be a lot of people saying, "Oh, it's 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 noble and it's righteous of John to go in and kill the Boltons." Well, that's kind of not what he's doing. No. He's just going to save Rickon, right? No. Well, I mean... and, and his sister, his sister obviously wants to take back Winterfell. A lot more than he does. Sure, and uh, I, but I don't know what what do you what, what are you trying to accuse him of? Because like if the let's like, let's say that the, I just don't want it to be all rah rah John. Like he's doing this out of some familial obligation, sure. yeah. not and, out of the and, goodness of well, his heart to to preserve Westeros, right? Because I think he was ready to fuck off about the whole thing and like get, he was, you know, go yeah. south and get warm or whatever. But um, you know, I don't know. Like he might have come around to that anyway. And warmed up to it in time, and Sans is just Maybe. like pushing him in that direction. But on the other hand, like she makes a valid point that we'll never be safe as long as this guy right. sits as the Lord of the North. It's just, but I know. feel like it's something you got to talk about with Davos pushing him and saying, "Go do more things yeah. that are right." Well, and like, and he's like, back, "Well, that got me killed." That goes back to our mathematical equation that zero is worse than forty-eight, which is worse than two thousand. Like. <laughs> If you think that this guy's going to come and kill you, then you have even if like the theoretical threat of the White Walkers. Well, they're not at the gates yet. Right, these guys are, and they're yeah. threatening me. So maybe I have to. It's like there aren't any really good decisions left to be made. Those decisions were like three, four years back. Sure, there's now the best you can make of the situation you're getting. So it's like I don't really want to go too hard on John because. Oh, I don't either. I just okay. I don't want to go too too favorably on John either. Sure, sure. Which I feel like is the inclination of the audience at this moment. Uh, let's go to the th- 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 Dosh Kaleen. Is that what they're Cross called? The, yeah. No. Cross, it's Vase the Widows. Dothrak, which is Vase this capital Dothrak. city. Okay. They're, they're, you know, or whatever. They're, they're meeting to determine what to do with Danny, And she's acting super smug and they're threatening her. And they're like, why, why is this lady doing this thing? And then... She won up some by not only threatening them, but then burning them all alive. Uh-huh. Uh, and she walks out of the Ferno completely unharmed, and the entirety of the Dothraki prostrate themselves in front of her. So apparently, loyal to her now. I thought this was visually incredible. Yeah. Just the, I mean... And for people rooting for Danny, oh my god, this scene. Yeah. And, and her just walking out there mother naked but uh-huh. like with that roar of the fire behind her and like all the, and just just her like staring down all these people like yeah come at me and, and the the nudity here i feel serves a symbolic purpose i don't i don't think it's just nudity for nudity's sake here oh hell no uh it's to show she doesn't need shit aside from herself like, yeah 
here I am. And Boom. it's it's I don't I mean I don't know whether it's non sexualized or sexualized nudity, I guess is in eye the beholder, but Oh, it's, I didn't think it was. It's awesome. She's yeah. just standing here like, you know, framed in this heroic pose and she's got this you know, she's she's powerful and she's got yeah. all these people that are like seeing her as a goddess. I thought it was um and again, it's like a greater fulfillment of her initial promise in season one. Like before, all I had was Jorah and a couple of hangers on and some old sickly people. Now I've got, pa- I mean, I, I've, I'm doing this and now I'm acquiring real power because I was still a beggar yep. queen at that point. Right. But now it's all come full circle. And we got some really good feedback on on kind of how full circle this episode's come and some deeper things I want to talk about. And I'll save that because I'm not all about slicing up and serving a dry pie. Okay. Um, but talking about the scene in detail, I like the kind of humorous legal debate that established these cows as kind of lightweights that, so our prejudice against them is like, these guys are kind of small potatoes mm-hmm. and then Danny as much as says so, like, yeah. you know, you are all small men, you're not fit to serve, but I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, the music, when she grabbed that brazier and tipped it towards him, it kind of had to, like this like bass snarl that turned into like the Danny triumphant music. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe it's a Dothraki chant. I don't know exactly what you would call this, but I thought it was awesome. Um, the literal roar of the fire is like, almost like a dragon-like when it was taking, you know, consuming the building. Jorah and Dario both falling to their knees. Jorah yeah. going back for the second look at the naked Khaleesi, the the old dog. Does he? Uh, <laughs> he did a double take. They both like they both look and then they fall to their an knees and, it, oh. and they do. He 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 looks back up and's like still going. <laughs> this is what you're missing, Jorah. That's right. And what Dario's not. So get a good look. No, no, look. it's Jorah. Jorah is the 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 lecturer the, that's getting the second look. Right. That's what I mean. Oh, well, Jorah's said... missing it. Dario ain't. Oh. Oh oh oh. I see what you're saying. Yeah. He's he's. He's left out in the cold, right. Jorah. He doesn't need the mental picture. Dario's got the whole thing. Um, no, t- take it in while you can, Jorah, because you're not seeing this yeah, again. Yeah, it was <laughs> interesting. Also, the, that subtle detail of the old masters trying to bribe the Dothraki with 10,000 horses. Right. Yeah. That's a pretty... The, the young that's, that ain't nothing. No, it's not. And uh, you get the impression that they would not do nice things to her either mm. if they got a hold of her. And at the, the very masters. minimum, she's going to be on a cruciform yeah. at the side of a road somewhere. Right, it just gets worse from there. Yeah, I mean, you put a, you put a, what was it, a thousand heads on pikes, a, a thousand it was slavers like a children, strung up, maybe a hundred or ch- yeah, it was, a, it was a bunch of children. Is the especially disgusting thing. Well, yeah, I mean, and then didn't didn't Danny do? She did. With I think the masters? Uh, she, she did. Like I think it was a hundred children. She did a hundred of the wise masters. It was a hundred. Okay, whatever the number was, it was however many miles they were from yeah. Marine. I get the impression they would have done similar things to her. Sure, sure. Uh, but yeah, awesome scene. I don't know how much more you want to talk about it, but I mean, I thought like there's some people. It's funny because there's been this weird fan rumor about like um, Emma. What is her name? Uh, Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark um, signing a no nudity, uh, renewing her contract with a no nudity clause. And I'm like, I don't really Apparently give not. a fuck either way. Like, if you don't want to appear, like, you change your mind. You don't want to appear naked. And like, I you know I don't want to appear naked in the Hollywood production. So like whatever. Mostly because I don't either. Most because it's not a long enough lens to catch my face and my member in the same scene. Har. Um, <laughs> some, some torment. Giant's blood. Torment humor. Yeah. You're saying. Uh, but no, I I don't give a shit. But it seems like that was false because she was saying in Entertainment Weekly that no, no, this is totally me. 
Like, this is me, I'm fit, I'm strong, I'm powerful, and that was what right. that scene was all about. But it's hilarious because, in much the same way that a lot of people uh, criticize, like, remember in The Phantom Menace where they were attacking the frog fucking... Men? And Yoda showed his tits? Yeah, yeah no. Uh-huh. Uh, how they, like, they're, 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 the, the tanks are rolling in on these lush green hills, and everyone's criticizing how much that was CG, and then you find out that was actually a real scene. Ha! Taste uh, it. The, a lot of people were saying in the Reddit thread before that article on Entertainment Weekly this posted that I can see the mat lines and I can see the stitching on the neck and look at this bullshit. Like, obviously, there's a lot of CG com- com- compositing going on because she's not right. standing in the middle of a fucking inferno. But, A, you're just flat out wrong on that anymore. Right. Like, if it was 1982, yeah. if it was if it was 90, 91, if it was 93, Jurassic Park, whatever... Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe, but you're not seeing that shit anymore. You can't. Yeah, CG is so good now, you cannot see it. I mean, have you seen if they don't want you to. young Robert Downey Jr. and Captain America three? Right. And we forgot to talk about that on the podcast for it, but holy shit, that was eerie. Now, you throw a rubber Drogon on the screen, sure, and you have him fly off with some poorly composited shit. Sure, you can see it, but and you have Amelia Clark they don't want you climbing to. on him like he's made out of glass and knives, and like I don't, I, you know, right. that doesn't hold together as well. But yeah, yeah, when they want to and they got the budget for it, they can absolutely kill it. And this is a scene they want to nail. So, having said that, it was I feel like it's her. Not that it matters. I feel like it was a real body and. Now everybody can shut up about it. I don't care. Like, the Cersei thing didn't bother me either, that it wasn't her real body. No. Don't care. And I I actually saw that there were articles about her talking about this nudity thing. I was like, yeah, okay, you're nude. Uh-huh. Whatever. I've seen Kevin Bacon's dick. I don't care. Like, <laughs> did you really see his dick or was it prosthetic? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, that's about all I have to say about this episode. This week's episode is sponsored by Casper. Uh, they are the... Uh, purveyor of obsessively engineered mattresses at a shockingly fair price. And right now you can go to casper.com slash G O T and use G O T as a promo code, uh, to get $50 off your first purchase of mattresses. And it's funny cause after last week's ad, I had some people write on and to me and be like, you know, Aaron, is this like a, like a marketing thing or do you actually believe in this mattress? And I said, yeah, I sleep on a Casper mattress. I've done so for over a year and I love it. Um, it's different than any kind of memory foam mattress because it's a blend of memory foam and latex. It solves a lot of what I think a lot of people's uh, problems with it are they're too, too stiff. The heat. The heat retention with yeah. the latex supposedly solves. Um, and they have what they like to call just the right sink, just the right bounce. And I find that to be true. But here's the thing. You don't have to take my word for it. If you're in the market for a mattress, I don't see how you can go wrong mm-hmm. because go to some other mattress – place and get a hit and 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 sit on their mattress for five minutes or however long you feel comfortable doing so at a store (laughs) and decide whether that's going to be give you eight hours of good sleep at a night yeah and then purchase a mattress for thousands of dollars bring it home and you find out that oh man i woke up and i feel tight i feel stiff what are you going to do it's not like they're going to take the mattress back Mm -hmm. casper lets you sleep they get they got a hundred nights that they're going to give you you don't like it, you say, get this mattress out of here, and they're going to they're gonna take care of it. They're going to pick it up from you. And I've heard of several firsthand uh, experiences from people, either are Walking Dead fans or Game of Thrones fans, who said that they tried it, and ultimately it didn't work for them, because that's the thing. It's a Goldilocks situation. Some people want soft, some people want firm. I think this is a great yeah. place for the majority of people, but if it's not for you, it's risk-free. 
Uh, so that's the thing. Like people want to know if whether I truly believe in a mattress. I sleep on one every night, and I think it's awesome. And that wasn't like I was replacing it with a. Uh, I wasn't. I wasn't really <laughs> replacing a cement floor. Like right. I had a nice king sized major manufacturer that was like two or three years old mattress. I replaced mm-hmm. it with the Casper and I immediately noticed the difference, not just from the quality of sleep, but the fact that because it's memory foam, there's not as much jostle transfer yeah. when like, you know, I don't sleep alone. I'm fortunate in that. Uh, and that there's no cross transfer of the motion and mattress. There's like a lot of nice mm-hmm. uh, ability. It's, it's manufactured in America. It ships to your door and an easy to use package that like exp- that you get into your bedroom and it like unfolds uh, the smell. That's the other thing that I'm usually concerned with the memory foam mattress. That thing dissipates in like less than t- I let it air out for a whole weekend. But, you know, and, and, and when I got back, I left on Friday night. I got back on Sunday. It was ready to sleep on. No smell at all. Yeah. So I think it's a great piece of engineering. $950 for a king size um, all the way down to 500 for a twin size. And you get $50 off if you go to casper.com slash got and use the promo code got at uh, checkout uh, terms and conditions apply so be aware of those but it does seem like a great mattress at a great price and you can try it risk-free do we have some feedback oh we have so much feedback let's probably do that uh alex w says not a really complaint but what the fuck is a slice of dry pie i may just be an ignorant brit but I and I don't know what the phrase means, but after three seconds of Googling, I couldn't find it, so I thought I'd write and say, I love your show, and what is a slice of fucking dry pie? That is a holy bald move invention, yes? Yes, yes, oh. yes, yes, sir. That's one of yes, your so. things? Well, it's something you can, we came up with in season four. After Joffrey. When Joffrey died, and like someone say, like, why, you know, who poisoned him? And I think Tyrion said in his trial, perhaps he had a slice of dry pie. Right. And I think Jer- Joffrey, dry. as he was choking, said, that was some, can I have this some wine? This pie is dry, I need some wine, yeah. So... When and and the way we structure our podcast is we come armed with outlines, but we don't pre-discuss the thing with each other except for the instant podcast. So and one of us does all of the feedback. So so frequently Jim will inadvertently with his own ideas or whatnot step on a, a feedbacker, and I don't have time to re-edit the feedback in between recordings. So like I started just uh, saying that you got sliced, uh, uh, so you got a served a slice of, of dry pie. pie. Yeah, and you would start. The- not be able to finish your email. Yeah, so. you can't finish your email, so we move on. Yeah. yeah. So that's when we do the dry pie. It's, it's essentially like, you had a great point. Jim fucked you on it, and we got to move on. Taste it. <laughs> Taste it. <laughs> so dry. Um, okay. Mike Mc... We ha- that's the thing, though. Like, we have so many inside jokes, and it's a statistical fact that 50% of you were not here last season. Right, and fifty yeah. percent of you for last season were not here to season before that. That's true. And fifteen and then, to twenty percent of you that are here now were not here in episode one. So it's like ah, that's that's what the, what the, one of the and good then we problems. Have multiple casts. We were divided sure. by spoilers. Like there's all sorts of divisions. Some people in the don't listen to our feedback audience. section. It's it's uh, right. it's 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 all all good problems to have. But sure. it, it uh, we ought to have we ought to have some kind of like wiki. That has all of our insights, so people could just go and check. You know, that's something we we would probably Mike do if it we were better too. at this. Mike McSee said, "Both of you sounded very troubled over the uh, number of Black Brothers that Lazarus, I mean John Snow, hung in the final scene of Oathbreaker. If you didn't know, obviously these are first few emails right. from previous weeks. Four verse six. I think the explanation is very simple. It could be one of two options: one, the remaining traitors were killed during the skirmish of the Wildlings, or two, the traitors were killed off screen and the scene focused on the main conspirators." I could be wrong, but I think John hung the 
uh, main lieutenants of the Night's Watch and Ollie since he dealt the killing stroke. In my opinion, the Double D's just focused on the traitors that we were at least vaguely familiar with. I mean, my mm. thought on that is that's exactly what a plot hole is, though. It's, you know, it's, and this is like a plot hole that also could be a continuity error. Well, for me, plot holes are things that could not plausibly have happened given other events. They're a the gap show. of our understanding of the show that can't be explained by things seen by us, the viewer. Uh, and earlier, and like some people wrote in that I saw it as so minor of a quibble that I didn't consider it, is that Tyrion's wine glass level was all over the place in his drinking game he was trying to play. Right, and and Jorah turns around magically in a scene with Dario. It doesn't... I don't care. But I will say that I think that the bigger the continuity errors and the plot holes get, the more it's... Like, there's, there's, there's everyday sloppy continuity Hollywood errors because this is just impossible to keep straight from mm-hmm. a practical matter. But... I do think that, yeah, sure, they might have died over unseen over the scuffle over John's body, or maybe they died off screen. But well, you certainly you got other explanations for this, yes, because I saw a thousand of them. I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not interested in talking about them because. Okay, well, for people who are yeah. like super curious, okay, the one that I saw that makes I guess the most sense is that Torment killed one of them, the giant killed the other, and that's four left. So because we saw two people die. Okay, so they six people stabbed. To be the there was much more people watching it, but John didn't hold them personally responsible. Right? Yeah. Whatever. So I'm just saying Who that, cares? like, the implication, if you buy that it's a plot hole or a, I mean, the reason you'd care is because it shows that they don't care themselves, right? And that is a troubling for a long term trend on the show. Um, Can we talk a little bit about timelines too? Because uh, if you want, there was to. some stuff that. It could be considered fishy, I guess, by some people on the timelines. Because, um, you know, the last episode we had Sansa saying we're heading north, and then boom, this episode they're there. Mm-hmm. We had Theon saying, I'm going home. Boom, he's there. Yeah. Which we know those journeys would have taken weeks. Uh, to me, I mean, they are... I, I've almost written off the timeline in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't care because, like, eventually these things come back around yeah. to where, like okay, well, we're showing you two weeks later on Theon's timeline, but we're showing you a day later on Jon's. Yeah. Or a day later on Ramsey. Yeah. Uh, clearly, all these things can't be happening at the same time. So I, o- I almost don't care to even try and follow it. But it feels natural to me coming from the books, because much like in Lord of the, R- the Rings, the Twin Towers, or the Two Towers, rather, um, you have these parallel timelines of events that like you kind of see the whole story and then they go back rewind time and tell you the story of what happened to the other group they do that a lot in dance of dragons feast for crows where things are happening parallel but if you just go by book order it's give you a false idea of what's actually happening and that's the thing like this stuff is only is like when did Greyjoy die like did he die at the same time that uh you know, Sansa met Brienne, or did that happen like weeks before or weeks after? Like, you don't really know, right. and you don't know how much time is elapsing before each b- between each show. And that's why I don't care. Because... Yeah, it's like it's just fuzzy enough that it suits, uh, you know, it, it suits the showrunners. I think, and it's kind of yeah. like the same way that you know, in Star Wars and Star Trek, they they 
they they make it a point that everything's solved with hyperspace or warp or transport, right? Yeah. And it's only a point about, like, you can't get there in a certain time if it's dramatically important. And they always say, like, oh, well, we've been knocked three days away from the planet at warp nine, whatever. Like, I feel like this is the same way. When it's a, pro- when it's a problem, the show will tell you. And I get that that's a little bit loosey-goosey and sloppy, but... Yeah. And I'm sure as long as they execute at a high level, you won't care. Right. When they start dipping and doing slipshod shit, you're going to start noticing how this doesn't make sense either. So they have to tread carefully. But in my mind, they're treading it very carefully. It's working for yeah. me. And, and they're jumping around so much, it almost doesn't matter to me. Yeah. And like, you know, people have been saying that in the forums and on the Reddit a lot about how Peter Baelish apparently has a jetpack. He can get to the Westerlands, to the Riverlands, to the Vale, to King's him. Landing. We haven't seen him in episodes. I'm and... talking about last season. Oh, okay. He yeah. covered a lot of fucking yeah, yeah. land. Right. So, but I, I just, that doesn't bother me because they are executing the other stuff at such a high level. And also, they're like in a tough spot with the actors' ages. Sure. I like mean, Robin, kids. look at fucking Robin. He's taller yeah. than Littlefinger now. Yeah. He grew like two feet in the off season. Right. So I think their nebulous sense of time works out well for them. Yeah. And also, also, I thought it's interesting that the young Dosh Colleen mentioned that she was like 12 when she was essentially sold into slavery and, and raped by her cow. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's exactly what happens to Danny in the book. She's like just turned 13. And I oh. wondered if that was a nod to kind of like, yeah, this is kind of fucked up in the books. Could be, yeah. Um, whereas Danny, like, always played as like more of an eighteen-year-old, and now she's a you know yeah. mature woman. And and Arya, like in the books, Arya should be like nine or ten years old, still carving up dudes. It's easier right. to take because Maisie Williams is going on eighteen last season, and yeah. So I think that works in their favor that as the material gets more adult, they age up appropriately. But in the books, this stuff all happens over a span of like a year. Mm-hmm. Um. So anyway. Uh, let's see. H.D. Chapman says, thought I'd mention in case you didn't see it, that there's a brief moment before Arya drinks from the poison fountain where she's kneeling in front of a fire. If I remember right, the House of Black and White has little shrines for all the different gods from all over the world. In this week's scene, she's kneeling in front of the Weirwood or Old Godwins, which seem relevant to me in that in the is she really no one or is she still Arya conversation? Hmm. That's clearly intentional, right? That's the show telling us that she still has some loyalties to her old way of life. So then... If, if that's true, if that's it what is. the show it's is definitely trying... the old the old no, gods. She's no, no, no. For. I mean, if that's what the show is trying ah. to tell us, if that part of it is true, then we have to believe that this water is not somehow controlled by the gods. And she, she either either we have to believe that this water is not designed to poison her, because it, if it was, it would have killed her. Given that she isn't totally no one. Huh. Or we have to believe that she fooled the gods, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no two ways around it if you think that that is actually the the writers and the Or she fooled Jack telling us. Like if Jackin's like the poison's in the glass, she fooled him. Right, right. That's yeah, what but... I mean. Like not, not actually going to kill her. Yeah. If she's not no one. Or the god, or the other explanation is the gods don't care. The gods are real. They just don't care. Okay. <laughs> like that's, this is something that the... You know, that's always a possibility that God is real. He just doesn't give a shit about you chopping the tip of your dick off. Right. This is that's a, some a project he worked that's something on five that years got, ago. That, that, that's something that got introduced into the narrative a couple thousand years ago. And he's like, ah, I can't sweat everything. Right. Like, or, you know, he just, just doesn't care one way or another. So I don't know. 
I mean, that's that's what's interesting about the Game of Thrones world is you can I think what what your view of its religion says a lot about yourself. Sure. And not so much about you know what Martin's trying to say. Yeah. Like if you're, I, I imagine that you know if you're a Christian, you can come in and see a lot of allegory here. Whereas if you're an atheist, you can see kind of stuff that fits your own worldview. Like, oh, this is all just some kind of metaphysical thing that they don't understand. Spoiler alert, that's true of all art. Yes. So, <laughs> it says more about you than it does the creator. Yep. Uh, let's see. Meredith H. says, are we supposed to read something into the fact that Jon Snow decided his watch was ended only after he got a vengeance on those that kill him, killed him? If his dying is what releases him from his vows, isn't it a bit dishonorable for him to continue to use the power of his position to condemn and execute the traitors that immediately decide his watch has ended? Just the only thing that seemed a bit out of character and didn't feel right. Maybe it's how normal John would react when being arisen from the dead. Maybe he isn't thinking clearly. Maybe the resurrection has indeed made some subtle changes to him. Jim, what's your analysis of that? Stupider. Oh, God. (laughs) Made him dumber. 20 points off his IQ. Uh, he's wearing his hair more Ned-like, I noticed. <laughs> he is. He's got, he's got the pull little, back little pullback bit, nod, yeah. yeah. Uh, is that intentional after we saw young Ned and John comes back and he's rocking the young Ned look? It could be. It could be. Uh, I also have to wonder like, if this is maybe not reflective of John so much as it is the Black Brothers like, and how they view John. So, like... It, this mantle is forced upon him at, when he comes back, right? They still consider mm-hmm. him the Lord Commander. Uh, he needs to act as such for the moment. Even when he gives up his cape and this letter comes in, he tries to tell them, no, I'm not Lord Commander. Uh-huh. That's it. Give it to him. Yeah. And the guy doesn't even budge. He mm-hmm. just continues to hold it out for John. Right. So, like, maybe they are expecting as much of him and he's just acting... I thought that was funny because John was expecting it to be just another Raven, but this is like, it's not just for the Lord Commander, it's specifically tailored to you, bastard. (laughs) How would they... Come and read. (laughs) Do they let, do they let the Bolton, the the House Bolton guy in there to deliver that letter? How would they know? Like, does the Bolton guy say this is only for John? I don't know. Wait, you saying a Bolton, did I miss that, that a Bolton guy delivered it? I thought, I I assume there's a Raven. No, no, no. It wasn't like horseback. Oh. A, a guy with a flayed man shield. Okay. Rode into the gates. Um, well, with, a, with I, a flag indicating he's a messenger, I guess. I I I don't know what to do in that Sam's going to the citadel, but there's always a person whose job it is to like usually it's the maester of the of, of the the black brothers to kind of like manage the ravens so assuming that hmm. there's someone there that's reading john's mail to know who but he, going they to couldn't it. have because the seal wasn't broken oh, that's right so the bolton guy must have said hey this is for john only it's funny because you got me on a serious dilemma that i can't explain but i don't really care about right <laughs> Right. Sick. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. So if anybody wants to take a stab at it, maybe we'll read it. Maybe we won't. Um, yeah. Here, here's the thing. I'm I'm with the, the emailer here in that John should refuse a little bit more. Mm. Like if he really doesn't want to be Lord Commander, refuse the, the status. Yeah. And if you're taking off, you're fucking off anyway. Then yeah. what do you care that the traitors are still alive? Right. I guess you want to leave. He's not protesting enough. Uh, Dale from DV, or Dale DV says, this may be dry pie at this point, but I want to piggyback on a theory that a previous listener, Rick S., commented on. In season three, during an Arya training montage, Arya is asked about her list. I believe she will be sent to Westeros to take out the rest of the people on her that list. The most of the people okay. on that list are still alive and have a naturally long life. So this is the idea of 
maybe Arya is going to be sent to take out John or the Mountain or someone that's dead and shouldn't, you know, that should just alive and should be dead. Right. How he, would how would you get Cersei though? He lists off the people who still have a natural long life: the Mountain, the Red Woman, Beric Dondarrion, even Thoros of Mir of giving a natural life. Okay. The Faceless Men may send her to take her out or take wait. May send her to take out her list as a way to give a great rest to those that are due. Jon Snow could be added to the list, but she may save his death for when he's ready and echo the words of Cyril Pharrell. What do we say to the god of death? Not today. So the idea here is that Arya, and I talked about this in previous seasons, that Arya has had different trainers at different times. Like in season one, Cyril Pharrell was teaching her mm-hmm. his philosophy. Season two, arguably, Tywin Lannister was her teacher. Sure. Uh, along with Jack and Hagar. Season three, arguably, what, who was mm. teaching her was the Hound. Yep. And now we, she's back in with the Faceless Men. I thought it was... The reason I read his email is I thought it was interesting, the concept that she would take from Sirio one of her earlier lessons, which is what do we say to the God of Death? If indeed she's sent to kill someone who is alive and should be dead, that's a great... I could see her saying that line as a way to get her out of her mission. Like, it's, she's essentially got two directives that are conflicting. Okay. I, I mean, I'm, I'm working under that premise that she definitely does. Okay. Until until we deal with Needle. Okay. Uh, I, that she I, definitely does what? I'm confused. That she definitely does have two different goals. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Shelly K says, One thing about the Tyrion drinking game scene from Season 6, Episode 3 that I didn't hear you mention is how the, it is the flip side of the drinking game scene with Shay and Bronn in the first season. Tyrion has always had uh, someone who understood him close by his side. Bronn, Shay, Podrick, Jamie. He's been without that companionship for a very long time. Last season was about his sheer survival, but now that he has survived, I think he's moving on trying to survive emotionally the only way he knows how. This scene is showing us that he's coming back to being Tyrion after a harrowing season five, only being Tyrion isn't working in the new world. He's going to have to figure out something else. As a writer, I was intrigued. That's a pretty hot take, I thought. I don't remember this scene with Bronn and Shea at all. So he he plays this drinking game where it's essentially never have I ever with them all in his tent as a way to getting to know them. Okay. And this is an echo of the scene with Missandei and Grey Worm, except for it fails spectacularly, but it's essentially right. Tyrion trying to make a human connection with them. Yeah, and trying to use his old ways in the new world and failing. Yeah, but the fact that it, he did it successfully in season one, I thought was a really nice narration, and I fucking whiffed on it. So. Yeah, but I mean, even if you don't catch that, which uh-huh. I didn't, uh, it works. On it the still other works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Indeed, it just uh, doesn't work on the comedic level. No, it does not <laughs> uh, for t- me personally. Tony V wants to know how common is being a green seer. Uh, Bran is both a warg and a green seer. Are most people both or one or the other? In the books, it's mentioned that like one out of a thousand Northmen or children, you know, whatever, are wargs or skin changers. Really, and that seems so common. And one of a thousand of them are green seers. That's like everybody. That's <laughs> essentially everyone. That's point oh 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 one percent of the population. Right, but that's still a fair amount of people. Like I thought, the Starks were special. So Starks not special. Starks. Well, if you take just those, one of like, thousands of wars. Look, look, motherfucker. Let's talk about odds now. <laughs> all right. The fact that all these would compound into one family is kind of special. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it, depending on how it's inherited, right? Like, is it inherited via blood, be, via being a relative? If that's the case, then it's not special. It's just a guaranteed fact. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. 
I thought the Starks were the only ones who could warg. No. Is the premise I was working under. Well, I mean, you know that's true and wrong because we saw one of the wildlings was able to warg into his falcon back in like what season three. He was able to use his like un. Uh, he he was he was their scout essentially. Right. So yeah, right. No, I it's had not just about a Stark. That. It's okay. more of a North thing. Okay. Because uh, those powers are all connected to the old religion. So is it a cold thing? Is it I like? I mean, I had an interesting. Is it the North religion? I had an interesting email about like how you know essentially how do we see this world like is magic is there god are there multiple gods is there one god is there this one force that people are ascribing to gods and like that's what i'm saying like that's in the eye of the beholder yeah everybody sees like it differently. me coming from a you know agnostic atheist perspective i see there is probably a like capital s source of this power much like star wars and the force which may or and may not has, be supernatural and it's polar or... it's polarized you've got fire and ice you got life and death you've right. got light and dark you've got fire well i already said fire and ice yeah you got good and evil but they're all this essentially polarity or char- like you know po- yeah, electricity can have a positive or negative charge right um it's doesn't mean there's two forces of electricity it just means that you don't mm-hmm. fully understand the mechanics. So I guess I see the universe of a song of ice and fire having this one force that motivates it that people see differently. And like, I guess the faceless men are the closest to the ones that have a true understanding, which is there aren't multiple gods. This is one thing that we don't quite understand and it has one name and it's got many different aspects and people worship it in different ways. Yeah. But that's because, you know, I, I think if you're and it's very similar to the way that like, um, you know, the Abrahamic religions all, you know, Muslims, Jews, Christians all kind of worship the same God. Right. But they don't. And, like, the more fundamentalist you are in those religions, the more you'd say that the Jews and the Christians or the Muslims are heretics and you have the true faith. Right. It's the so, difference between being, like, a theist and a deist, I guess. Sure. Where one believes that there's something out there and the other mm-hmm. believes that it's a very specific thing. Yeah. Um, and, like, you know, Christianity is a monotheistic religion. Yeah. But they worship a trinity. But that's okay because it's just different aspects of one of God. The same. Yeah. I mean, this is all like the, I In fact, I think that if you look at this, that, um, you know, the faith of the seven is broadly like Roman Catholic, I've always seen. Uh, you know, the gods of the, of the north are kind of like the pagan gods. The Lord of Light is Christianity. Uh, there's a lot of huh. stuff that kind of maps to okay. real life religious systems. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's intentional or whether, you know, he was just trying to just like, you know, game of Thrones is based broadly on the war of the roses. Yeah. And what happened between the, uh, the, the, um, what is it? The, the Yorks and the Lancasters, man, but it's like, it's a super I loose, <laughs> super loose analogy. Right. Either way. Uh, let's move on. Rachel B. In discussing Game of Thrones 603, a friend brought an interesting theory to my attention, and I'm wondering your thoughts. Back when Bran was crippled and in a coma-like state, and after being thrown out of the tower, all the direwolves are still alive. But when Lady is killed for Nymeria's attack on Joffrey, Bran regains his consciousness. Now that we've seen Shaggy Dog's head represented to Ramsay, could that be linked to Jon coming back to life and not therefore... Uh, having to do anything with the red woman. I never made this connection before, but it makes sense since all the Stark children seem to be linked to their wolves and therefore to each other. Uh, she wants to give credit to but they're linked to her friend Adam for this theory, but she wants our thoughts. Linked to each other's wolves? Like, because, you know, it's not Ghost that's killed. It's not it's not Bran's wolf that's killed. Uh-huh. So, like, I don't know. I don't know. 
Well, so the other thing that I that was talked about a lot in in the uh, various places we talk about Game of Thrones uh, in and the internet, Reddit and our forums and whatnot, is the uh, idea that the name of of Rickon's wolf is Shaggy Dog. Mm-hmm. And have you heard of the Shaggy Dog story, co- like Hollywood concept? This idea of like it's essentially uh, like the comedic form of a MacGuffin. It's this long-winded anecdotal story about the shaggy dog that at the end has no punchline and has no point. It's a it's a red herring or distraction. Okay. Is Martin cheeky enough to name Shaggy Dog and make that plot be a Shaggy Dog? Like that this is a diversion from what we're really supposed to be paying attention to? I suppose it could be. I mean, this is back into like well, this, not re- this, so. this is not really the Shaggy Dog head theory, which I think is dubious, but I don't know. Right. Uh, Karina D says, and related, I think that the head of Shaggy Dog, the Umbers presented to Ramsey, was really Shaggy Dog's head, but that he was killed somewhere on the road with Rickon and Asha before they hooked up with the Umbers, perhaps defending them from stray wildlings or wild animals. And the Umbers came up with the idea of using Shaggy Dog's corpse head for the conspiracy against the Boltons. Why is everyone debating if this is really Shaggy Dog's head or not uh, when this would work just as well? That's another thought. That isn't it the fact that Asha immediately tried to kill Ramsey proof that the Umbers are not completely on the up and up with their offering of Bran as a gift? I don't know if if it's proof. It's certainly evidence. evidence I would yeah. say, yeah, it's good, a piece of evidence that the lends itself toward that reading. Sure, uh, and and really, you kind of have to check out the spoiler podcast to get too much more in depth on Rickon, right? I mean, it's mildly interesting for you to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck, man. Um, uh, I'm just saying, like, there's stuff from the books that is relevant here that that I now know about that I can't talk about. See, it's fucking mildly interesting. That's why I came up with the phrase. Uh, Brett F. says, Aaron, king of shippers, caster of pods, mispronouncer mispronouncer of names. I just did (laughs) it again. I strike again. Perfect. Couldn't have have written it better. Regarding Brienne and Tormund, what are the odds of you shipping this love story? Does Brienne strike you as the type of person who hook up with the first man to ever really hit on her? I don't think he's got a shot, but do you have a lot in common? Brienne escaped from Bolton's bear, and Tormund claims to have had sex with one. Maybe it was the same bear. Small world, best icebreaker ever. Same bear. First of all, Brett, I have to take it. Uh, 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 I have to take umbrage at your suggestion that there is a type of woman that would hook up with the first man that ever really hit on her. Right. Like, is she too nice of a girl? What the fuck does that even mean in Game of Thrones? Like, she's uh, no. I feel like she's she's too reserved. Almost, mm. she's like too guarded. She's like you know, so Catholic break down girls, those walls. But you know, there's a lot of uh, well. tropes about them. Uh, I I I feel like that um, is Brienne a sexual being? I can thought, she be? I thought with her chemistry with Jamie that she is, uh, and if she ever finds the right oh, guy, if she ever finds Tormund in a hot tub, oh, it's on! <laughs> they need to go back up north of the wall, find those caves. Yep, yep. administer the Lord's kiss, and foul deal is sealed. Um, no, but I. I I, I want to make the distinction between first person to hit on her and like first person to genuinely hit on her. Like, I I don't know how Tormund views well, this exactly. I'm a Brian Jamie shipper, so I would argue that there was a little bit of sexual. Well, there was a lot of sexual tension in their oh, there relationship. Was. Yeah, um, for sure. That's controversial, but whatever. This is my podcast, and I agree with you. I like Brian and Jamie. 
Yeah. So the other thing is like how much of this for Tormund is like a conquest versus like this is the first person who's impressed me. Like how how genuine is this idea of like I'm attracted to yeah. Brienne versus like I just want to conquer this giant. Well, that's what I said. Like I said in the outset, like this is just a woman who can breed me warrior children. That's right. That's another a... type of objectification and conquest. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. What do you think Tormund is looking at her with? See, that's the thing. Like, what's going through his? Head? I think Tormund's a big, like one of those big talkers. Okay. And that he actually might. Um, might be a decent guy under all that. Especially the dealings he's had with Jon Snow. And like, do Hardholm I think he's actually like... fucked a bear? No, I do not. <laughs> so. I'm, I'm on the fence about that. He would but... be actually somewhat hysterical. No, I think he actually mentioned that he's had uh, sons and daughters or something along those lines. But it would actually be funny if he turns out to be a virgin. <laughs> he's just the guy that brags about everything. Yeah. He's got he's got nothing. Like, have you, you've never even seen a vagina happy right. torment. We're going high school politics here. And sure, it turns sure. out Jon Snow, the kind of nerdy like yeah you know reserved guy is the one who's actually fucked and the rest of them yeah but he's dispensing all this advice about how you got to get a girl as slick as a baby seal and right yeah i i I don't know you don't sound like you've actually done this yes exactly you sound like you've maybe seen a playboy (laughs) yeah or a penthouse once some deer penthouses (laughs) some deer king's landings uh but I know, I I gotta say, this was not on my radar, but I'm liking what I'm seeing. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I don't, um, I don't know how Tormund's going to pursue it, if he is going to pursue it. How, I don't know how Brienne's going to feel about it. You know, uh, as long... She was kind of giving I, him I, the... I feel like as long as he's honest about his intentions, he'll come out smelling like a rose. Right. Like, if you're not, if you're not looking, if you're not looking to wife her up and to put a ring, just as long as you're like, hey, this is just about sex. I mean, she is an adult. She can make her own damn decisions. Maybe Brienne's asexual. Like, she just doesn't Possible. give a shit about it. I don't know. But, like, me, as a sexual being, would like to see everyone get something genuine and something nice in their lives. Right? Sure. So, like, I don't know how Brienne feels about it, but I would like for Brienne to have something because she never yeah. has. Right? Uh-huh. That's how. That's why I'm a shipper. It's not so much I'm a shipper as so much as I just like like to see people like yeah. Let, that's that's the chief joy of me watching Penny Dreadful, for example. It's like everybody should just fuck. Yeah, you're fucking. You're fucking too. All <laughs> right, Hartnett. now now bring it together. Get a four way. I mean, yeah, it's like, Frankenstein the werewolf. Sure. Get with Timothy Dalton. Sure. let's do this. Yeah, get weird with it. Get the mummy in here. Unwrap <laughs> him. Get Josh Hartnett <laughs> in his Sin City outfit. I don't know. <laughs> fucking do it. Uh huh. So. But yeah, I would like to see Brand be happy, and if that's Jamie yeah. or uh, Tormund or fucking Brandon Stark, I'm... or nobody, I don't know at this point. Sure, but, but it seemed like Jamie and her. I thought so, and she yeah. clearly loved in a girlish way, Rinley. Like I think she would want to make it better. That was the funny thing is that okay. Rinley wanted nothing to do with you know that. Yeah, he's like... a vegetarian when it comes to to that kind of thing. He he did, right. he eschewed that particular brand, implying of meat. that she's meat. Objectification uh, of it at its worst. I'm ashamed of you, Aaron. Patriarchy runs deep, man. <laughs> Subconscious. Uh, Lindsay L. said, I had thought about this newest episode of Game of Thrones, the line where Peter Baelish asserts that it's time to get back into the fray. Seemed like a very deliberate choice of words. Yep. yep. Of course, on the surface level, he's talking about getting back to being the master manipulator he is, but he could be making a remark about Walder Frey and his family? 
I only read the first book, so I realize the spelling's a different Frey versus Frey, but Littlefinger is far and away my favorite character, and I'd love to see him kick some Frey ass to avenge the death of Cat and to control the twins for the wars to come. The only woman he's ever loved, conspicuously. The only woman he's ever loved. That's a hell... I mean, I get it. It's it's yeah. the difference between Frey and Frey, but... But that stuck out to me, too, yeah. watching the episode. Damn, Jim, you were on fire. I didn't catch that. I didn't mention it. I should have. You should have. If I wanted you to get claim. All the inter- you're, you're letting these valuable internet, like slices of dry pie are not I being know. served. What the fuck? I know. Uh, <laughs> Nick S. from Indy says, are we sure that Varys is on the up and up? Uh, no. Next email. <laughs> I've always felt that he's a character similar in vain to Littlefinger. He's manipulating the black chess pieces and Littlefinger manipulating the white. Varys is a big part of the reason that Tyrion has to flee King's Landing, and I feel like we have just kind of trust him because Tyrion does, and the relationship is great. Maybe Varys is asking a slave woman with his asthmatic son, who is funding the Sons of Harpy, because he wants to know if his name is known as the source. He reported to slave owners <laughs> that the three cities were behind it, but they claimed they weren't in the meeting with Tyrion. Of course, they wouldn't admit it, but it's concerning that we're just taking Varys at face value. Insightful email, Jim. What do you think? So I'm confused as to why Varys would need to uh, verify that his name was not being named if he's part of the conspiracy. He's wouldn't, once, wouldn't he be? And and not only is he part of the conspiracy, but he's the guy naming the names. He wants to know if his name's in the street. Does he need to worry? Well, the name's only in the street if you put it out there, Varys, because no other names are in the street. No, but I'm saying if, I, if say, people are whispering that Varys is, like, that would be useful information to know. Like, how well has he covered his tracks? Yeah, I... Here's the thing I is, why do we implicitly trust Varys? Because I guess if I'm going to be honest about it... Because he it, helped be, Tyrion and, after killing Tywin. And I don't see him sitting the Iron Throne, so as he seems like this character who seems genuine and that he wants to serve the realm. Now, that is extremely naive, even as I'm saying it. Absolutely, and I because don't just know... because he can't have a progeny and a line and all that stuff doesn't mean that he doesn't want power... No, he might have seen the writing on the wall sure. with with Tywin's death and with Cersei taking over and just been like, let's do this. I'm going to back Tyrion and we're going to go over here and we're going to do this thing from Essos. Like, I'm going to get out of harm's way and I'm going to work my machinations from here. No doubt. No, yeah, no doubt. So I, it, it's not like I implicitly trust him to, to the end that he's on Tyrion's side necessarily, uh-huh. but I trust that he's not on Cersei and the Lannisters' side. Sure. So. I, I don't know. I've always thought he was the genuine one. Like, he's the one that... Really? I feel like Danny. Th- that's Danny. No, I'm talking me. about the mass manipulators. Oh, Which okay. essentially is essentially, what, Littlefinger and him. That he's the one I can trust because he seems to be giving good, solid advice. But then so did Littlefinger before he pulled a knife on Ned, so... Right. Um... I don't know. Bastard. Uh, Richard R. says, what are your deeper thoughts in regard to the high spirit situation? I'm tickled to th- that you think that we've got like some reserve. We're just doling out the shallow thoughts. Let's, uh, we're going to sum it up all. We're going to give you th- we're, we're our true feelings of the high spirit. Uh, me? Richard speaks for himself. I think he knew Tommen would tell his mother and his entire situation was a trap. I could be wrong because I definitely have seen this before, but whenever a character says, I'm going to tell you something I promise I wouldn't tell, I instantly feel as though it's a setup. Lastly, I'm beginning to think the Ashen scene is an indicator that Umbers had a plan where they turned over Rickon. Unfortunately for them, the plan went bad. Of course, with all that said and done, Sans and John are still together. The Vale is on its way, and the Umbers are behind enemy lines. I can't help but hope that we finally see the Starks take back Winterfell. 
We talked about a little bit this in the podcast. I want to see if you had any final thoughts on. I feel like the the I'm going to tell you something I promised I wouldn't is pretty much dry pie. But what about this idea that the Umbers had a plot that this was conspicuously they weren't pledging allegiance and they weren't doing anything that you know the Umbers take their oath seriously. If if you want to go on this assumption that the the Northern people take their oath seriously. So he's unwilling to give it to someone he knows he's going to betray. He introduces Asha as the wild card, presumably right. to kill, like, you know, she's a guided missile and she goes and tries to do it. But then, oh, shit, didn't work. Yeah. Are we going to open up next season, next episode, and we're going to see the small John Umber flayed for a suspected betrayal? Maybe. Can they get their, can Ramsey get his hands on little John? Little, well, I mean, he's presumably still there at the castle. Is he? Well, he wanted his he wanted Ramsey to join forces. I can't imagine he's going to drop off the gift and be like peace. Oh well, I thought he would take forces with him, mm. like head north. Uh, All right, but that's just my assumption. Okay, uh, well, I, I, I think the more interesting, like the deeper thoughts on the High Sparrow. Uh, it, it's my opinion that the High Sparrow is trying to create a civil war here. He's trying, like his speech to Jamie about you know being you know not not having swords or whatever yeah, but being a bunch of people uh-huh. yeah um and we're we're, expendable. we're strong in our numbers yeah. that sort of thing uh that's him trying like saying hey i'm gonna incite a civil war here i'm gonna incite a war that's gonna take you guys down uh with the little people who are the peasants who are the the people of king's landing sure uh that seems to be his main goal and i think it, it looks like it might work but i don't know that the, the the Lannisters might be able to turn the tide their way mm-hmm. if they play their cards right. Yeah, I mean, like, Napoleon, isn't, isn't it he used to say that uh, quantity is a, has a quality, a quality all, all of its own? Yeah. So there's there's that. Right. Uh, Kevin B. said, The ladies, slaves, or prostitutes that Tyrion gifted to masters have got to be yet more little birds who will report back as spies at Tyrion and Varys, Right. And if so, I was surprised that Tyrion didn't make that clear to Miss Sandy, considering the serious shade she was giving him when they came in. It would be pretty serious, uh, pretty seriously dilute his message to say slavery is bad and we want you to end it. And as a token of our goodwill, here are some slaves. We talked a little bit about how man, they have to be stupid. That's kind of a problem. To I mean, yes, they were at the, the, the best reading of situations. These are former slaves that volunteered. For a distasteful mission at high pay, at high rates of pay. Right. Everything, every every uh, assumption about that that you walk back becomes more and more distasteful. Mm-hmm. Uh, even from a psychological standpoint of like you know how much free will do they have being raised under this system and all that kind of stuff. But you're uh, postulating that that he was this that is these a are actually network? these are actually spies I- in like the American sense of the word. I using... always hate I always hate this trope of I'm going to sleep with you and get information out of you because I bet unless it's super you... fucking effective though really man I mean unless you have some emotional attachment to someone why would you tell them anything aside from just fucking them like I just say like I know that stupid. there's enough real life spies that do that 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 is a emotion that that we are culture but you cult- have to build an emotional attachment that's not what's hap- what's happening in this scene. This scene is about fucking prostitutes. But what I'm saying like, is, like, the way I think also, because I've read several accounts of, of high-priced uh, call girls that mm-hmm. um, service 
very rich and powerful men, and it's amazing how they run their mouth through their women. God, they're so stupid. Well, I that's yes, people are, especially when their dicks are involved. Or the clits, if you want to go it from the other uh, angle. Or, yeah. I uh, mean, that's, I guess, I mean, I didn't, and they, they, I didn't like read that into it, but yeah. I suppose you could. It's an interesting theory that they're actually, yeah. like, his, we're, we're, we're conditioned to think at this point that the little, his little birds are children, but it could be just yes. any socially disadvantaged group that people would dismiss and not take seriously as a threat. But you also have to not take seriously as a threat the masters of Young Kai and Astapor yeah. and Volantis. Uh-huh. Like, you you have to dismiss well them as idiots, right? Well, it just takes In one, order. number one. Right. Uh, number two, like, it's a, it's a Hail Mary, but it would be a smart play. Like, maybe they're not going to say, hey, we've got sure. X many troops and X many boats, and this is our... But maybe they just make a statement about how much... Yeah. Like, oh, we'll see about that tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. And they go, oh, well, there's an attack tomorrow. Right. Something. Right. Like I said, it's... We'll it's... see about that at the games. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, let's see. Luke B said, wanted to chime in on one of Loris's and Marjorie's scenes in the episode. In the instant take, you guys didn't seem to know what to make of it, but I think I see what happened. He goes ahead and summarize what I essentially passed off as my own thoughts, it turns out. Uh, so I wanted to give Luke B credit for the, essentially the idea that Marjorie thought that she was going to go and give that, that, that the high sparrow thought that she broke her, but really the high sparrow used her brother to break Marjorie. Yeah. Um, so he laid out all those thoughts oh, on one of the Luke that credits. dry pie. No, I, but I, I'm giving taste him credit it. for the pie. Mm-mm. Just came up organically in the conversation. Want some wine with that? Organic, cruelty-free, farm-to-table, <laughs> dry pie. Uh, 100% recyclable. <laughs> Responsibly sourced. Uh Jessica H, cruelty-free. I can't help but feel like this was a really important episode for the women of Westeros. Oh, yeah. Lots of complaints about the way women are used in Westeros. I thought it'd be nice to read one where we acknowledge the fact that women kind of kicked ass in this episode. I feel like we did that in a recap, but sure, yes. In this episode, we got to see a lot of very empowered, strong, complicated, and determined female characters. Sansa resolved to rid the North of a monster, pulling Jon out of his very understandable reluctance. Marjorie's determination not to give in to the bullying of religious fanatics and her entreaties to and comfort of her much weaker brother. The interactions between Yara and Theon were amazing, and I never thought I would love a scene in Pike so much. Even the alliance, which is almost certainly to go sour between Cersei and Lady Olenna. Brienne continues to be amazing. I'm glad she finally found a man who appreciates her, especially given her backstory. Although I was sad to see Asha go, it's nice to see a woman using sex as a weapon a la Cersei and not having uh, sex used as a weapon against her. Asha was able to be active in her final moments, not a passive victim. Wait, or- that's not that's not a trope. Come on. A role a role that women are too often relegated to. As I- Danny's almost literal barn burner of a power play with the Dothraki, this episode really cemented for me that women of Westeros are the real players, not the pawns. Back up. Are you right. saying that it's not a trope that women have sex used against them? I feel like it's almost a trope that women use sex. Like, it's an, a weird objectification that women use sex as a weapon, and that's their only weapon. I think if you think of it in terms of when Hollywood give women a juicy role to play. Right. And it's a character moment. It's almost always a vi- – and you can see this everywhere from uh, – you know, uh, special victims unit to Star Trek The Next Generation. When Troy got a plot line, flip a coin, heads, it's some bullshit with her mom, tails, she's getting cyclically raped by some uh, 
uh, character of the week, you know? Right, but then on the other end of that spectrum, or, or on the other side of that coin, is women using sex as a weapon to, like you said, get oh, information. Oh, no, seriously, that's also to, a trope as and, well. And that's their only weapon, right? Like, but it's, it's the only thing they've got going for them. But it's, it's, a, it's a pretty well-established trope that character development from women is by physical or sexual violation of their bodies. Like River Tam, you know, she was an interesting character because she was sure. abducted and experimented upon against her will. It's not always right, sexual, right. but that's definitely a storytelling trope that, oh, sure. you know, guys can... You know, men can have many ways to develop their story, but women, it seems like that's, you know, because there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, most writers are men, and they don't really understand women's issues, and yeah, that stuff is slowly getting better. That's that's the reason, by the way, this is why diversity is not some social justice warrior bullshit thing. It makes more accessible and interesting stories for everyone, because you have interesting backgrounds and points of view that make stuff more interesting and less interesting. If it's just a bunch of dudes sitting in a room imagining right. how women think automatically less interesting and oh, yeah. less accessible sure so uh let us move on but yeah no i wanted to acknowledge that that this was a great great episode for for women to kick ass in westeros and in essence and they've done quite a few of those in certainly. recent history you know like uh, a lot of women getting shit on at the beginning of game of thrones yeah absolutely uh, like i said the show takes its lumps when they you know mishandle female characters but on I, that's what this is stuff like this is why i think it's it's a very shallow analysis to say that you know the song of ice and fire or game of thrones or broadly george martin are anti-female or anti-women absolutely like that's a pretty shallow analysis yeah. i understand why people approach it and like oh god all the rape but i i think ultimately when you, start, when you start out in the series men do have all the power i mean Make no bones about that. Slowly, we're sure. seeing a lot more diversity of power here. Uh-huh. We're seeing we're seeing men who are, you know, doing the bidding of women in a lot of cases. The the wheel is being broken, right? I mean, that comes down to Sansa and John at this point. You know, uh, Anna W said, "Also, am I the only? Or wait, also that's a bad edit. Am I the only one who thought that Danny was a little too comfortable burning the cows? Yes, it was an epic power move, and but yes, it seemed a little bit Mad King of her." This, oh, okay. Hmm. So this is constantly something that I've been watching, and I uh, is is whether this is a fake out by Martin. What is Martin playing at? Is Martin setting up Danny to be the deliverer of Westeros, or is she going to be the Mad King reincarnate? Yeah, it's a fair question. I think the stuff we've seen of her recently in Marine uh, has not given me a lot of confidence in her ability to lead. Yeah. Even though maybe she has a claim on it, even though maybe she would do a good job if her idealistic uh, feelings could win the day. Yeah. I just don't think she's a very good practical leader. Whereas now she's kind of got the ultimate dream team here. She's got Tyrion. If she comes back with an army... She's got Varys. Now she can rule. She's got got good advisors. Um, Right. I think that... They they do a good job of, and and the books do this as well, as showing you both sides, and you kind of can see the madness and the capableness, but uh, yeah. kind of entwined, the fire and the blood, all all kind of bound up in her. Yep. And you know, because in, even in this scene, it's like who's to say she might be a little bit more more mournful if they hadn't been making epic rape threats about right. all yeah. of them and all their retainers and all their horses. 
you know, raping her to death. Fucking her until she dies. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, I think you could be triumphant by putting these people to death. And maybe if they had been a little bit more absent, not absent minded, if they'd been a little bit more mindful, uh, she would have been either sorrowful or maybe they even walk out of there. There's There's a, is there a version of the world in which they walk out of that alive? Like if they're like, I don't you're think right. So. We're, I mean, I don't think they're I mean, capable. tradition. I don't think tradition would sure. allow it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, I mean, what, they what are they going to do for themselves that she brought the dragons and right? And they've heard about the dragons, but yeah, I I just think like I think she has the right idea. I just think she needs good advisors around her, and she's slowly accumulating that. Amber F. I interpreted the Danny Fire scene as those bulls. Uh, we talked about an instant cast how. Maybe people would have a problem. I was anticipating people having problems with some of the scenes, and I found that no one did. Like, there was no meltdown thread on the Song of Ice and Fire subreddit. There wasn't people. I mean, there's a couple people saying, like, it's a little convenient that they burnt this. I'll let Amber say. uh, I I thought that those bowls of fire were burning with oil or some kind of inflammable, inflammable material. So when she tipped the fire over, the oil spilled out everywhere and thus burst into flames. Mm -hmm. I think it's unrealistic to assume, like you did, that Dario and Jara had any access to uh, in the in the hut. I think their only part to play was in barring the door shut and killing the guards outside. I read a couple other people talking about how it seemed unrealistic that it went up so quickly, but I think the answer is perhaps simpler than that. Um, I will just say that I feel like regardless of what you want to believe, they did an adequate job of explaining why that thing, like either the brazier's full yeah. of oil or Dario and Joris uh, you know, did some fuckery with it. Something happened to where I can believe that she tipped over those brazers and the whole place went up and it was a shit show. Yeah. So I, there's not a, I, and, and the fact that there's almost no one calling bullshit on that. I had like maybe one or two people out of a thousand, uh, send me an email saying that I thought it was strange. Like it was, scene was awesome, but it is strange how fast that place went up. It's a thatch (laughs) hut. Made of wood and grass, essentially. Yeah, so, but it's kind of not. Like, if it was thatch, they'd chop their fucking way out of it. It's it's more solid than a thatch. But it's it's thatch thing. on fire. Like, I don't know. You chop your way out of that. No, no I, I mean, I was looking at it. It's not thatch. It's like okay. some construction okay. beyond just straw put up on a... Put it stacked vertically. But like, I don't know what they burn on brazers. Whether they charcoal briquettes or what. The, the fact is, it's know. not like just a candle. You know, no, no, it's no. a significant fuel source that's going to burn for all night long. So, right. um, I, like I said, I think they did more than enough to suspend my disbelief anyway. Yeah. Uh, Josh L. said, I think what struck me most thematically about this episode was the echoes of episodes past. Danny, of course, pulls the same trick she did at the end of season one to even mm-hmm. better results. Asha tries to do at Ramsey what she did to Theon's guard and gets killed for it. Theon once again stands on a boat as he returns to Pike, seeing his old home in a much different light than the last time he arrived. An entirely different man from the ignorant, arrogant boy he was before. I especially like that last one that we didn't point out, but that is a clear echo of when he came back as, like, I am the gang that that Rob Stark has sent, and I've got my Greyjoy finery on, and I'm going to... I'm the heir to the throne, and I'm going to stuff my fingers down this winch's pants who, oh my god, it's my sister. Completely different guy at this point. Yeah. And nice nice echoes, as Josh mentions. Anything you want to mention? Or nope. Jackie L. says, 
During the scene, in the scene with Cersei, Jamie, Lady Olenna, and Kevin, listen to the musical cues. At the moment, Cersei convinces Olenna and Kevin to sit down and listen to them. The cellos kick in, and as the four of them come to an agreement on the plan, the melody makes its way into full-blown Reigns of Castamere territory. Mm-hmm. Um, so she, there's a lot of dry pie in this email, but her question is, is the vengeance here going to be solely for the Sparrows? Uh, or is it going to be directed some to the Tyrells and old uh, Uncle Kevin as well? The impending Ke- uh, King's Landing bloodbath will be a great opportunity to camouflage any tricky assassinations that folks have in their to-do boxes. Um, so this is something we didn't talk about. We talked about how this is going to be a four-way clusterfuck, but is Cersei going to try to off like Lady Olenna, Marjorie, Kevin, etc.? I mean, I, I feel like I talked about this. I think she's going to point the finger. Mm. say, look, these are the fuckers who came in and did this thing. And if you want a civil war, if you want to take somebody down, take down the Tyrells, not the Lannisters. Um, Moving on, Sean B. said, I love the parallel between Queen Marjorie uh, being humiliated by being paraded around nude by the Sparrows and losing face and respect, but Danny gains an army of 100,000 by being naked and on fire. I think there's some interesting symmetry there. One yeah. is a, sh- a shameful display of nakedness, and one is a powerful display of nakedness. Mm-hmm. One is someone head down in shame, and one is head up in defiance. And like a, the the look that Danny was firing at, like everyone, yeah, she's just like looking down her nose and daring people. It's fucking awesome, man. Yep. And that's the last email. Turns out I just okay, uh, cool. mis miscopied it into the wrong uh, outline. Well, it's a long episode, so I'm glad that's the last one. Uh, we're we're significantly over time. You know, the allotted time we've given ourselves. That's true. Our we're heads. almost out of podcast. Almost. The tape is almost. It's it's it's. it's we only have. Uh, we should have gone EP instead of LP. But what are you going to do? Or we should have got the 120 minute. You know the the, the 120 minute where you can right. fit a whole album on a single side of the cassette tape. Or we should maybe just abandon tape. All together. Go digital? Yeah. You think we should? I think so. All right. Well, you know, it's Next certainly episode, all time mailing the copies off to Libsyn. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to send us more feedback, it's easy to do so. Game of Thrones at baldmove.com and on forums, forums.baldmove.com. If you want to discuss the episode on the forums, please keep the spoiler threads separate from the non-spoiler threads. It would save me the effort of moderating you. And uh, we are not done this week. Hell no. We have a whole spoiler section coming out Friday where we try to debunk some theories from the books uh, or prove theories from the books based on new information from the episode and vice versa. It's kind of fun um, and it's a great place for adventurous show watchers or uh, battle-hardened book veterans to give their thoughts on the episode without having to worry about spoiling people. So Mm -hmm. we'll be back with that on Friday and then we'll have another what promises to be a banging episode of Game of Thrones on Sunday with the instant cast. It's just a snake eating its own tail. We're never stopping. Yeah. Never stopping. For six more weeks. Six never more stopping. weeks. It's just <laughs> never stopping. <laughs> six weeks. 18 more podcasts. Can you stand it? Cool. Well, we will see you guys uh, either Friday or Saturday, Sunday. Uh, and until then, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. Bye-bye.